This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to uh, live longer, healthier, happier lives. <sighs> Any news going on last night? It was a slow night. Hmm. He's in, folks. Donald Trump uh, is the presumptive nominee now. It's just uh, he's he's knocked 16 out, and it's just Kasich. Somebody needs to tell Kasich that... Uh, He's he's losing. He doesn't know that. Donald Trump, he's in. Today we are going to uh, be talking about uh, politics with our Washington insider. Who better to do that than Joe Cannon? We're, I've got so many questions for him. Donald Trump is the presumptive nominee. He's it. Oh, this is your future president. In fact... Um, he also is an incredible investigative reporter because Donald Trump shakes the trees and uh, he found out apparently, well, allegedly that Ted Cruz's dad somehow involved in JFK's Well, he didn't find out. Assassination? He, he just read an article in where, a where publication, re- the National Enquirer. <laughs> In the in the National Enquirer, yes. It's, so it's not his words. I know. It's just what he's read. It's just well, people are talking about it, and he it. was just sort of confused as to why no one else was talking about it. So, and then he said something, and then all these people started talking about it. So it's yeah. it's justified by the fact that he said it. Now people are talking about it. That was yesterday morning, and then yesterday afternoon, Ted decided to answer it by about midday, about noon. This might be very well the reason why Ted Cruz lost. Donald Trump went on national television and attacked my father. Donald Trump alleges that my dad was involved in assassinating JFK. Now, let's be clear. This is nuts. This is not a reasonable position. This is just kooky. Kooky. And... While I'm at it, I guess I should go ahead and admit, yes, my dad killed JFK. He is secretly Elvis, and, J- and Jimmy Hoffa is buried in his backyard. What? I knew it. Are you kidding me? Who would have thought Jimmy Hoffa's in Texas or Florida or wherever his father lives? They're all looking under the, the football stadiums in New York. This, But no. Well, but this just took a lot of unknown, you know, un, un like, what, what do they call them? Um, Unsolved cases. Unsolved cases. Took them right off the ca- right off the table. They're no longer on the blotter, folks. Well, now we know who killed JFK. A Cruz, no less. <laughs> Not even American. <laughs> Probably a, a Canadian. Whatever. So that Cruz, you know, but then then Cruz unloaded. And uh, th- let's just give you a little taste of Cruz unloading on Trump. I'm going to do something I haven't done for the entire campaign, for those of y'all who have traveled with me. All across the country. I'm going to tell you what I really I, think about. I don't about. know. Too little too late. This no. man is a pathological liar. He doesn't know the difference between truth and lies. He lies practically every word that comes out of his mouth. And in a pattern that I think is straight out of a psychology textbook. Hmm. Wow. It doesn't end. 
whatever he does, he accuses everyone else of doing. The man ca cannot tell the truth, but he combines it with being a narcissist. A narcissist at a level I don't think this country's ever seen. Donald Trump is such a narcissist that Barack Obama looks at him and goes, dude, what's your problem? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Unhinged. There are millions of people in this country who are angry. They're angry at Washington. They're angry at politicians who've lied to them. I understand that anger. I share that anger. And Donald is cynically exploiting that anger. And he is lying to his supporters. Donald will betray his supporters on every issue. If you care about immigration, Donald is laughing at you. <laughs> See, you now Ted Cruz started this by saying, this is something I've never done before, except I think I've heard him say yeah. every single thing he just said before. This this seems like a strange thing to do about midday. That, a lot of the voters had already it, been voting. Yeah, the polls opened at 7 a.m. in Indiana, and this is kind of what you kind of felt like a last ditch effort to try something, right? To do something. And you do it at noon. It's like by this point, it's either that or maybe he started seeing the exit polls. Yeah, that's probably seeing it. that he wasn't uh, wasn't polling well. But then later in the day, you know, then Trump he wins fifty three point three percent of the vote in Indiana. Cruz had thirty six point six percent. I get these alerts on my phone seven p.m. last night here local time. Yeah, bam, Bing. done nine. It was that's what nine Eastern. Yeah, so the polls close. The second the polls closed, all, all these networks start telling you that Trump they was one. And you're like, okay, this is... <laughs> I didn't know Cruz then uh, suspended his campaign. I didn't know that. My kids had to tell me that because once oh. Trump won, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, but... But does it? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, his whole point is we're going to push this to the to the convention. Yeah, but... He, I guess he, behind the scenes, can still go. Is he looking at it, the math that everyone else has been yeah. seeing, that Trump is actually yeah. going to get to the number he needs to get to? Which is so weird, because this is what tells us that Kasich does not know math. Even though he's like the only congressman to ever balance the budget. He says there's two paths forward now. Yeah, there are. Yeah, there are. <laughs> They're Hillary's and Donald's. No, no, I think he means oh, himself, himself okay. and yeah. Donald. Yeah, yeah there, there is, there's still a path forward for Kasich. And then he mentions, you know, We'll get to the convention, and then we'll yeah. see what happens. Well, or he should just be Donald's vice president. Maybe that's it. It Who seems knows? like Donald has to have Kasich as his vice president. Just to balance things out? To have any prayer of winning Ohio, which you have to win. Apparently, or apparently, apparently he's been discussing that with people and not getting many takers. Mm, so. It's crazy. Um, we're going to have Joe talk about that, but you got to hear uh, – Donald Donald had some fond words um, after Cruz dropped out last night. Just so you understand, Ted Cruz, I don't know if he likes me or if he doesn't like me, but he is a competitor. He is a tough, smart guy. And, and he has got an amazing future. He's got an amazing future. So I want to congratulate Ted. And I know how tough it is. It's tough. It's tough. I've had some moments where it was not looking so good. And Just one. it's not a great feeling. <laughs> when ben Carson and so I understand how Ted feels and Heidi and their whole beautiful family. Heidi, the one he... Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Cruz brought that up midday <laughs> yeah. yesterday. He looked at his wife. I don't know, but apparently she's not pretty enough for Ted Cruz or for uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to be biased here, you know. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> and Ted shouldn't say anything because Ted accidentally... 
punched her in the face last night. Three times. Was it three times? Yeah, his elbow bumped her three times. He, as he, goes he went to hug hugging his dad and threw a was that his dad a flying elbow at his wife. Was, was that the collaborator in the assassination? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're going to hug an assassinate <laughs> a guy that's plotting to assassinate the president, but you won't, and then you punch your wife in the face. But it was funny. She like ducks and catches an elbow again. And it's I know. think it's sad because you think of how long he Cruz has fought in this battle and now you're done I, i've got i want to ask joe what what's that like when you just because in fact let's just listen to what cruz said when he suspended the campaign and you'll hear his people like gasping like no from the beginning i've said that i would continue on as long as there was a viable path to victory tonight i'm sorry to say no, no. <laughs> it appears that path has been foreclosed Together, we left it all on the field in Indiana. We gave it everything we've got, but the voters chose another path. Wow, that was funny. Yep, like how the audio was a little little sweetened by us here. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) I love the audio. No, (laughs) you're dropping out. It didn't make sense to me because what does it matter? You know, he, he's yeah. he's just going to continue to – he could continue to fight at least to California. That's in, what, two weeks, I think it I is? I think he needs to go back and get some more clothes. Is that what it is? Yeah. He just needs to kind of recharge a little bit? <laughs> I've read several things today that he had the most organized campaign. He had the, oh, yeah. the best infrastructure, the best ground game, they right. kept calling it. The only problem with his campaign was Ted Cruz. Right. But th- look at he it. He kind of got in his own way at times. But Ted can now go back to the fellowship of the Senate. All his friends. And just hang out with his friends and find a way to change the country from his Senate seat. He's been very successful in. Wait. Hold it. They don't like him there. And he hasn't really done much in the Senate. It's he a, did shut down the government. That was But then it impressive. started oh, right back point. up, and what he was protesting sailed right through. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he did it. He stopped it for about two weeks, it's or a, whatever it was. It's a crazy, it's a crazy deal. And, you know, he's on, Trump is only on in the national polls only about 13 points behind Hillary Clinton. Yeah. That's crazy. John Kasich? He leads. He leads. He just can't get past Trump. Yeah, he just can't get past Trump. But he, he, he in, in head-to-head matchups, as of yesterday, John Kasich beats Hillary and beats Bernie Sanders. Mm, that's why you need him on the ticket. So he's looking at that, saying, I still have a chance. Well, plus, plus Kasich, you have to have somebody that knows how to work with Congress, because mm-hmm. Trump won't. No. And you have to have somebody that knows how to balance the budget and actually do the financial, the the. But you would know, Trump the let somebody things. do that? Well, he's going to have to, right? He's going to turn it over to somebody. Trump's a delegator. Trump's, he said he said he's going to hire good people, right? But letting letting a vice president kind of get the the no, glory that way. But what, what you do though? Well, but it's he's the president, so you. I would I have my vice president say fix our debt issues, our fix that case, get on that, and win Ohio for me, and make me a sandwich. <laughs> A nice Reuben, if you will. I'd like a nice Reuben with a pickle on the side. Ah, it's crazy. Anything going on in the headlines that we need to pay attention to, Terry? Oh, hold on a second. Not really. Most we've talked about here. Um, Hamilton earned 16 Tony Awards nominations. Really? The the, the dead president? Yeah. Is that it? No, the play. Oh. Uh, The Never Trump Republican movement. 
Yeah, what they're, happened to them? They're saying on Tuesday night that Donald Donald Trump's victory in Indiana makes the road ahead more challenging for the movement. And <laughs> as it as it goes forward, the senior advisor Rory Cooper said in a statement to challenge Donald Trump's ascent to the Republican nomination. But Cooper said to the uh, said the campaign will continue, presumably to focus on other parts of the group's existential mission to distinguish Trump's demagoguery from that of the conservative cause. Huh? They're going to try to separate. This is Trump. This is the Republican Party. So, so the, the never Trump movement is not going to focus on the Trump anymore, just the never. Yes. Okay. The, the never part there. Um, Isn't this, that what the Congress has been doing for the last Trump, eight years? Trump, if nominated, will lose in historic fashion, Cooper predicted, but never Trump will work towards protecting Republican incumbents and down-ballot candidates by yeah, telling voters that Trump doesn't represent these candidates. Their values, principles, thus helping avoid, as they're calling it, a wave election. Mm, that's good. So if Trump goes in and you have a Republican running in your district and he gets you know somehow connected to Trump, yeah. and that affects him and the Democrat wins. Why would we even need to I – mean, it just seems like the never-Trump group just needs to shut down and then let's just start the pro-down-the-ballot candidate people. I saw this morning they spent $70 million so far. Trying since, to beat. Since Mitt Romney had his speech. Yeah. 70 million bucks trying to beat Trump and they've lost. I mean time. I get it. I get why you want to beat it, but – He's it. He's it. Yeah. He's it. So I don't know what you do now. I guess you fight him. I mean, maybe, and we'll talk to Joe about this in a minute, but maybe there are people that just would rather lose. Let's just lose. Let's just let the GOP lose. Then they'll learn their lesson. They'll learn their lesson like they did with Romney and McCain before that. I've read that. Lose, regroup. Yeah. And then uh, try to. Let's do it again next time. Yeah. That didn't work with Romney. No. And it didn't work with McCain. No. Uh, and it probably wouldn't work after eight years of each, Clinton. Each time they've regrouped, they've had a, they've had a, 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 a maybe a, a, a yeah. study to try to figure out where they went wrong, what issues didn't work for them, and here's our plan moving forward, yeah. and they come back to the same spot. It doesn't seem to be working. No. I would just not regroup. What would you do? Disband? Well, the question is, is, G- is the GOP dead? Did Donald Trump kill the GOP? I don't know. The and, GOP doesn't seem to think so. No, and I also think that if Donald Trump can actually just gain 13 points on Hillary Clinton and he beats Hillary Clinton, then the whole country, I guess Donald Trump killed the whole country. But may- maybe ask uh, uh, Joe Cannon coming up about that electorate math I gave you yesterday. Yeah, that was huge. Where you're looking just historically, right? is that insurmountable? But see, Do the Republicans have too high a hill to climb to unless, get there? But see, if they can win Ohio and Florida, mm-hmm. so somehow you've got to have – what you ought to have is Trump, president, I guess it's going to have to be that way, uh, Kasich, vice president one, Rubio, okay. vice president two. Ooh, the dual vice I'd president. I'd have dual vice presidents, and then I could maybe win Florida maybe, except Rubio didn't carry Florida. No. He might need Charlie Crist or somebody from the Democratic side to carry Florida. Who knows? We'll talk to Joe Cannon about that, folks. It's it's a crazy time. I mean, think about it. Did you ever think Donald Trump would actually be able to run the table? 17 people he was running against, and now look at him. He's the presumptive nominee. We'll be talking with Joe Cannon about it, who I'm sure is rolling just over right now. He cannot believe it, I'm going to bet. We'll find out what uh, our Washington insider thinks is the future going forward 
for the GOP. Also find out what he what his take on Sanders. Uh, Sanders is still gnawing on Clinton's uh, ankle. He won the Indiana primary 52.5% to 47.5%. Interesting stuff, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, just like any, uh, you know, disaster, tragedy, sometimes you got to bring in a little crisis counseling to help everybody through it. Who better to help us through what's going on in the GOP than our good friend, Joe Cannon. Joe's our Washington insider. He has uh, done it all when it comes to politics on a national level and on the local level. He has uh, been a candidate for U.S. Senate before. He's also served in the administration, the Reagan administration, um, as an assistant administrator in the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. And currently, he's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that's trying to lower your fuel costs. Joe's here today on the phone to talk to us about, um, you know, everything Trump, I guess. Joe, welcome back to the show, buddy. Hey, thank you very much, Matt. How you doing? I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm able to give crisis counseling. <laughs> you, <laughs> I do you, need it. You need your own crisis counseling, don't you? So, what yeah. do you think? He uh, ran the table, fifty-three-ish percent. He's yeah. No, there's. No, he's there's, it. I mean, the um, this has been the most interesting election year of my life. And, wow. And maybe a lot of people's lives. I think. Uh, yeah. Who Who would have thought a year ago that a guy like Donald Trump could be the the nominee of the Republican Party. And, you know, a guy gets uh, 50 plus percent in New York and 50 plus percent in Indiana. Yeah. It's hard to take too many, too many states that are more different from those two states uh, in almost every way you could look at differences. So it's clearly the will of a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, I, I would know, I mean, not to take anything away from this country too much, but and still, not Trump voters in the Republican Party exceed Trump voters by a good chunk. Yeah. So he's basically got the nomination wrapped up with a plurality of votes, and that, you know, that often happens. But, um, you know, he's basically got less than 50 percent of, of a party that's smaller than the Democrat Party. So mm. what do you think of this? Let's just say we could do a Trumpectomy. And take uh, take us, uh, you know some of Trump's personality issues out, but leave kind of more of his credentials, um, meaning uh, billionaire, entrepreneurial mindset, uh, aggressive but outsider, but an insider. And if if it wasn't Trump, it seems like this could be an idyllic candidate as far as some of his credentials. Just simply being the first nominee that's not a politician, I mean a formal politician that's ever had a job doing it, couldn't right. this be great to be the anti-government candidate that can go in and say, we're going to fix the IRS, we're going to fix the Veterans Association and administration, we're going to – it just seems like a great candidate except it's Trump. Well, um, 
I've said before, I, I'm not very dispassionate on this. I think tomorrow, yesterday, could turn out to be, uh, in, in years into the future, we can look back on yesterday as one of the darkest days in the history of our country. So that's, that is where I am. On yeah. And so, so uh, you know, we are, this is just another stop on the long day's journey into night, as far as I'm concerned. But <laughs> having said that, uh, and maybe we'll come back to some of Dylan, Bob Dylan's lyrics uh, about this. But anyway, um, laying that aside and trying to be as dispassionate as I can, uh, uh, Trump has done two things in the last 24 hours that are pretty remarkable, both of which could put him in a position, could put him in a position to beat Hillary. I mean, when you think about it, I know a lot of your readers don't know or care about baseball, but we now are looking at two pitchers going into the World Series, the two best pitchers in either league. They both have 25 ERAs. That means they give up 25 runs in X innings, hmm. which is horrible. So you've got, you know, a clash of the Titans, and in each party, people don't like their nominee. You know, I have plenty of friends in the Democrat Party who are just, you know, they're not quite as depressed as people on the Republican side, but there are plenty of people who just don't like Hillary, just like there are plenty of people, and I'm talking about within their respective parties, don't like Donald Trump. Okay, having said that, there are two candidates. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And so where do you go from here? Well, um, it's very, very hard for a Republican to win the presidency. Very hard. Yeah. Just look at, just look at the, the electoral map. It's, it's a hard thing. But the way, the only way you can do it really is if you're a Republican is to take away some pretty big states, which are blue or mostly blue. So how do you do that? Well, Donald Trump did to... I'll just say brilliant political things. Last night, he held out a huge olive branch to Ted Cruz and to his team. You know, he said, yeah, we're, and this morning, he said, we're done with Lion Ted. He's a great guy. I want to unify the party. So, you know, reaching out and trying to bring people back into the party because you need, you may need the base. Now, the other brilliant thing he did, just brilliant, I, you know, which he's certainly gifted instinctually. Uh, as a candidate, but he said, um, somebody said, well, how are you going to unite the whole party? He said, I don't know. Maybe I don't need to. Maybe I don't need those crazy right-wingers. Hmm. Maybe, I, maybe I don't need the national, he didn't say these words, but that's what he was clearly talking about. Maybe I don't need the national review crowd. They can just sit on the sideline for the next eight years. Now, why is that brilliant? Because he needs to get a bunch of independent votes and he doesn't need to get all tied up in a highly ideological issue, which is easy for him because he has no right. philosophical gyroscope, so it's easy. So he can just say whatever he needs to say to get those independent voters. And um, and the reason he's brilliant by saying he doesn't need them, look, the, the neither base likes either of their candidates. Uh, obviously, Bernie Sanders won last night, by the way, which is right. also very interesting. Neither of the bases of each party likes either candidate, but they are going to all be united. The Republicans are all going to be united. All those people that Donald Trump said he doesn't need, they're going to be united because Donald Trump is not Hillary. And all of Hillary's, the Sanders base, who can't send Hillary, um, 
they're going to be united because they don't want Donald Trump. So Hillary is not Hillary. She's not Trump. And right. Trump isn't Trump. He's not Hillary. So both of the bases are going to, are going to have to move toward, toward their candidate to avoid, the, in their each, each respective minds, the catastrophe of the Donald Trump or the catastrophe of the Hillary Clinton. So what Trump did this morning was saying, okay, you know, I'm not trying to unite everybody. I'm trying to win all Americans, and uh, that's that's a brilliant thing that is. to do because that's saying to people in you know sort of working class Pennsylvanians, working class New Yorkers. Although I think there's zero chance he could win New York. I think there's it's not a zero chance he could win Pennsylvania, Michigan. Yeah, Ohio, the Rust Belt. A, a lot of states that. Uh, a, People who normally vote for Democrats can get up and say, you know, he's not really one of those kind of Republicans that I've grown to hate hmm. uh, over the years. And so he's playing a, a brilliant campaign. Now, the fact is, okay, I'm trying, trying to put it from his perspective the most positive spin. Yeah. The fact is, there is going to be, this is going to be the most titanic negative campaign yeah. on both sides, and certainly in our lifetimes. And uh, it's going to be just, as Donald Trump would say, it's going to be amazing to watch. <laughs> I watched last night an ad already cut for a Democrat candidate, senator, Senate candidate in Georgia. Guy's a former prosecutor. He looks good. And he runs this ad. And the ad, all the ad is, is clips of Donald Trump saying lots of things, many of which I couldn't even say on your show. Right, right horribly embarrassing, crude things, mostly about women, but about other things, too. And then it runs a clip of, of Senator Bozeman, who's the Republican senator from Georgia, saying, yeah, I'll support Donald Trump. And it's a devastating, it's a, it's a mm. brilliant, yeah. devastatingly brilliant political ad. And that's what, so it's not just the top of the ticket. And you have Senate and House candidates just going to be, uh, he's, Trump is going to be hung around their neck by their local, uh, uh, in the local elections. Do you think Trump really, will be able to raise the money, or do you, th or is the money going to end up just going down the line to these other candidates to fight off, you know, uh, media like that? Yeah, to be saying, I mean, a lot of the big money doesn't like Trump. On the other hand, they reason they don't like Trump. I mean. He had $75 million of negative ads, hmm. broadcast ads, run against him Jeez. By, by Republicans. That's a <laughs> lot of money. Okay, so they don't like him. But the reason they don't like him is because they believe, as I, I believe, that there's almost no way. There's no I, – I can't see a way that Trump beats Hillary. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a Republican big money guy, you're saying, okay – Okay, he can't be Hillary, so I guess I've got to do what I can do to save the House and the Senate. So, so I, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I mean, there is definitely on the part of the big money side of things, people who just don't like Hillary. Um, so it, it's this. This is it is almost impossible to analyze this this race <laughs> because who could have predicted it? No, right. Uh, you you never would have thought Trump could win the nomination, right? I never thought that, and I'm sorry uh, to say. I guess I'm an establishment uh, <laughs> hack. Evil think, You're a hack. Think, 
<laughs> think tank Republican. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was wrong. And um, so maybe I'll be wrong again. But wow. He's, but he's only down 13 points to Hillary Clinton, which seems like nothing. And it doesn't even seem like truth matters, a la the announcement yesterday that Cruz's dad was somehow involved in the JFK assassination. I, I know. There's so many. He has said so many weird things. <laughs> he, he's gotten thousands of 30-second TV spots that an amateur could make, uh, making him look like an idiot and people who support him look like an idiot. The only good news for Trump and, and for Republicans is uh, Hillary has about the same amount of negatives. Right. Uh, I, I think the national matchups, she's, she's ahead, you know, pretty substantially in the averages. I think there's only been one poll that showed Trump ahead. But, uh, again, it, it doesn't matter anymore too much more nationally. You just have to start looking state by state by state. And um, it just see what happens. I mean, the... The one thing about Trump is he will be merciless. Oh, yeah. And he, uh, he has six months. He has six months of spinning and, and dancing. And even last night I found it interesting, and then we probably need to take a break, about he's mentioning NAFTA. I mean, and NAFTA, though, is, is, is hurting all of those states you just mentioned, Michigan, Wisconsin, I guess, kind of uh, Pennsylvania, that, that Rust Belt. And then Hillary Clinton's comment about – uh, the mine, we're going to shut down coal mines and the West Virginia coal miners comments to her. I mean, in a way, he could go right after that group of people and say, look, the Clintons hurt you with NAFTA. Well, let's uh, let's talk about that on the other side of the break, because that's another one of his brilliant uh, pivots. It's not a pivot, actually. Yeah. He's been, he's been hardcore on that. But, but most people don't even know NAFTA unless you've been hurt by NAFTA. <laughs> right. And, and, I mean, the... the the point is, is he he can say with almost total impunity, we can't have free trade the way we've had it in the past. So that alienates a bunch of conservatives right. uh, who believe strongly in free trade. But guess who it speaks to a lot of people? And he is to the left of Hillary on trade. He is to wow. the left of Hillary. Now, she's had to move left to fight uh, yeah. against Bernie. But basically, he's speaking right to uh, two sets of people, disaffected Democrats, uh, I would say moderate Democrats, who historically vote Democrats, but he's also trying to get you away and get some of the Bernie to vote, and mm. he might. Yeah. And he might just stop her getting some of that. So Crazy. You know, you more about that, yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. More with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. We're talking politics, folks. Now what? We have a presumptive nominee on the GOP side. Uh, more, more insight, and uh, I don't know, man, hopefully hope from Joe Cannon. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Friends to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here talking about uh, last night's, um, uh, what are we calling it? I guess final show for the GOP. And uh, I mean, sure, there's still a 
convention that's got to be had in Cleveland. But Donald Trump, the presumptive nominee, we are speaking with Joe Cannon, who is our Washington insider. He's also the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Go check out their website, fuelfreedom.org, and you can see what his organization is doing to improve the markets and lower the costs of fuel in the United States. Um, great, great tool and resource for all of us. So we appreciate that. Joe, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks, Matt. So talk about, um, I mean, a lot of, it, again, Donald always seems to be shooting from the hip. But like you said in his in his announcements last night, he he's still trying to win cruises people over. He's making statements about NAFTA that just seem kind of out there and extreme, except he's targeting certain areas. And it seems like just as the regular he's just a regular Joe, Joe. He's just a regular guy. Well, yeah, he says what we all he, think. That's what I keep he, hearing. Yeah, he's definitely, you know, an instinctual politician. So he's got really great instincts, and, and maybe he has more people working for him than we know. But what he's done, you know, and, and you sort of refined it a little bit, he's done a couple of brilliant things. He's trying to get the whole party together. Um, but if you look at the electorate as a whole, as sort of various subgroups. So you have hardcore conservatives, you have hardcore liberals, you have people who don't like free trade, uh, you have union folks, you have uh, minorities, both African-American and Hispanic in particular. And, you know, uh, what what Trump is trying to do, whether he pulls this off, who knows, because you also have two really big categories of voters, i.e. men and women. And a lot of women don't like Donald Trump. Right. He, he says, yeah, well, I won the woman vote. He won the woman vote in a very narrow slice of the electorate, i.e. Republican primary voters. Uh, they are not representative of the nation as a whole in, in, in any respect, just like Democrat primary voters also don't reflect the whole country, which is why always people turn right or left in the primaries and then they move back to the center. So he has to move back to the center. But if you, if you think about his pitch on jobs and the economy, which, which people worry the most about you know, all across the spectrum, he has a pretty good pitch to make that he can figure out how to do that better than anybody else. And, by the way, I can do that without doing all this Republican ideological stuff that you've heard. I'm busting out of that mold. Right, um, and so that's that's that could be a powerful message because again, you don't need to win the entire black vote, but if a Republican were to win ten or twelve or thirteen percent of the black vote, thirty or forty percent of the African or the uh, Hispanic vote, tough for Democrats to win. I mean, those are core constituencies, and you know, if you're an African American in uh, Gary, Indiana, or in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, or in Poughkeepsie, New York, and you're thinking, well, he's not the Republican that I've learned all my life that I can't stand. He's like a guy from New York. Maybe he understands me. Right. Maybe he peels off some votes. And the whole anti-trade thing is clearly aimed at heartland people who just simply have, have in, their, in their minds, don't know, I'm not arguing that this is true, but in their minds, have been damaged by 
so-called free trade. Yeah. is it, it, There has been this switcheroo, it seems like. Uh, um, Hillary is, you know, pro-trade agreement, NAFTA, Donald's against it, where normally maybe Republicans would be more for that. But plus, Hillary almost starts sounding a little bit more um, like a like a hawk, right? And not and he's more dove like when it comes to foreign policy. Is what's happening? There are two big, like I said, if you, if you just don't think Republican or Democrat, you think of various electoral subgroups. Uh, Donald is positioning himself in a way to peel off uh, some of the hard core, not necessarily hard core, but traditionally Democrat slices, and those are two of the areas that he can not run to the middle, but he can run to the left of Hillary and not do too much damage to his own base and invade her base because, you know, she is on record as supporting every free trade agreement. And she's also been on record as supporting pretty much every war. Right. And he, he the, I don't know where he lives philosophically. It's hard, <laughs> it's hard to discern. But one thing, two things that he's been absolutely consistent on. One is foreign policy and being basically uh, neo-isolationist and being uh, against these free trade agreements. And, you know, those are, those are very potent issues and generally issues that Democrats run on. Hmm. Is, um, if this gets as ugly as we think it will, what will that do to the electorate? It seems like well, a lot of people are sick of politicians anyway, and politics. So well, it would be crazy. Yeah. It would be funny. It would make great for late-night TV, but will it run people away from the polls, or will it bring them in? Or both? I, you know, I don't know the answer to that. There will be lots of bashing back and forth, but really what you need to look at is how are these messages being crafted in these states? to pick off voters. Just bashing Hillary or just bashing Trump is only going to reinforce your base, which is important. So that's where you'll hear a lot of the negative campaigning, but it's more of the subtle, uh, you know, the more surgical strikes on uh, either side's um, base, base voters that'll be interesting. So, I, you, know, you know, I think they'll both be very bombastic uh, because they need to stir up the passions of their bases. Yeah. But but I, like I said, Trump has two issues, and um, that are pretty much winners on the Democrat side, where he's probably not going to alienate much of his own base. Right. So he could. He he he's freer to attack her base than she is to attack his base. Who who. If you're thinking about uh, Donald Trump choosing a vice presidential running mate, who do you think is is in the running and who's the best choice? Well, so I said he's done two brilliant things already. Uh, I, I guess I'm waiting, as everyone else is, in bated breath on who he will nominate. Will, that will say more about him and how serious he is than just about anything. He's the only clue he's given so far is that he wants to he's inclined to somebody who knows about Washington and, and knows about politics. He's kind of pretended around those two things, but don't know. I have no obviously I don't know who he's choosing, but that choice could 
galvanized his, his oh. Republican Party. Yeah. It, it's the single thing that would uh, say to the, the Republicans, okay, we can, we can be on board with this guy. Yeah. Trump Kasich. And don't think Trump Kasich is, you know, on the political calculus side, a pretty smart idea. But I don't think that would say to the whole party, let's get together. I mean, Kasich, as you know, I've yeah, been like right. for a long time, but uh, he's not he, a, did not, he did not galvanize anybody in the party. He galvanized people in his own state, which is a good thing. But uh, in that state, it's an awfully important state. All of that's true. I think Trump Kasich does not say to the party, hey, let's all jump together. I, I don't think it needs to be Trump Rubio or Trump Cruz, by the way, but, but it needs to be somebody that that the the rest of the not-Trump voters can say, okay, the, the, the majority of voters in Republican primaries were not Trump voters, and they have to, they, they have to say, okay, you know what? That makes a lot of sense to us. Yeah. That's all he needs. He's moved in that direction already, you know, by his conciliatory, frankly, almost warm comments mm-hmm. uh, about Cruz and Rubio and, and everybody. Uh, oh, but to know. be his vice president would be so hard. Well, it's hard for anybody to be yeah. anybody's vice president. I mean, you know, going way back, John Adams, the first vice president that were said the most negative things and nobody's contradicted him. <laughs> right. Uh, on the other hand, the very best way to become president of the United States is to have that vice president. So, of all the different pathways, so you can put up with a lot if you think you've got a shot at uh, yeah. becoming president. And and you've had all kinds of strange bedfellows. You know, we talked already on the show about uh, Kennedy Johnson, but right. know, think about think about Reagan Bush. I mean, Bush is the guy who labeled Reagan's economic views new economics. There was a lot of intense dislike between those two campaigns, and and they came together. It'll work. Um, <laughs> it's just it's crazy. Yeah, this is something I can't. Uh, you can't believe. I can't believe. Walk us through. Uh, well, tell us anything else we need to be paying attention to. Uh, I know this sucks all the air out of the media room, but <laughs> anything else we should be focusing on, Joe? Oh, probably there are, but this is so. This so depressing overhang for me. I, I, I'm only just <laughs> contemplating the future, you know. Uh, if there is the, one. There is a great, well, there will be a future. There will be a future, and it's unpredictable. Yeah. I mean, things are not linear. People, history is only linear in the rearview mirror. It's not linear going forward. So it's going to be really interesting. Clearly, there's been a seismic sea change in politics and who knows where where it goes from here I where it takes it. very interesting but uh there there are three songs from bob dylan living in a political living in a political world the disease of conceit <laughs> and my favorite in this context everything is broken <laughs> i didn't know you were so into dylan this is great Look up the lyrics to those songs. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pull those up and play those every time we have you on now. Okay. Joe Cannon, thank you so much. Appreciate your insight. CEO Thanks, of, you bet, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Go check out the website, fuelfreedom.org. 
He's doing what he can to lower the fuel costs for uh, you in the United States and improve the markets. And he's trying to get over the Trump, uh, the new presumptive nominee of the GOP party. Stick with us, folks. Uh, Helping you understand what's going on in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, do not be discouraged. Again, you, you, nobody thought Donald Trump would be the guy, right? Except Donald and a few of Donald's people, his children. But there's something going on, and we, we end up mentioning this. I think it feels like every time there's a big win um, for Donald, but... At some point, we have to look behind all of the bluster and the rhetoric to what is motivating this movement. And if we look at it cynically, you know, it could just be pessimism. It could be racism, um, depending on how you your view of it. It could be, you know, sexism. Um, but it sounds like most of all, it's fear and it's exhaustion. And maybe what happens when any of us um, feel like we've been, you know, marginalized or ostracized or put to the extreme or put to the outside of life and not understood is that you just get mad. And when people are mad, they're not necessarily rational per se, but they they almost, you know, they don't care. It, it's better. Trump's better than what we've had forever. I mean, it's not working and nobody's listening. So it might be valuable for the politicians and maybe just for all of us to notice that people are frustrated. And um, if, if the biggest majority of people loving Donald Trump are males and white males, that might be telling you something. Maybe there's just anger from the white male side. Uh, apparently no females apparently will ever vote for Donald Trump. Or will they? Um, and is he a chameleon? Sure. We, you, everyone can see it. And yet it's – we. I think we like to make it good or bad, right or wrong. But the dilemma is here. There's something else going on and nobody seems to be talking about it. There's an anger and a malaise. There's kind of a laziness of how we want to be served our politicians. Donald Trump officially is probably the first real – uh, television star candidate of this magnitude. Reagan obviously was a star, but Reagan wasn't tweeting and Reagan wasn't on Facebook and Reagan wasn't having, you know, $2 billion worth of free media thrown for him. So is it just that we're lazy and angry? Is that what's happening? Is it that we don't believe the rhetoric of any of our politicians anymore? Um, we need to figure it out. But you, as a as a listener, you need to know, why are you voting for the person you're voting for? Do you even know what their record is really? Are you voting just because they're your party? Do you actually know the issues? Each of us has a responsibility to do that. So I challenge you, get out there. You be different on this election. Don't just get mad at Trump because he says this thing. Go figure out what he believes. Go figure out what Hillary believes. Go figure out what Bernie believes. 
And don't forget Kasich. He's still around. He's just like the, the crazy uncle that just never leaves. But, man, great guy. Interesting stuff, folks. We'll take a break. We'll be back on the other side of the hour. We'll continue the discussion. We're going to be talking about your food and how much good food costs. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number two of Utopia. Heaven on Earth. Also known as the Matt Townsend Show. Now, this could turn out well for America. What? Donald Trump. Oh, Trump. Yeah, he's he's he could act more presidential. Sure. He could make... Maybe this infatuation with the National Enquirer is just a passing fad. Just for political reasons, yeah, he, he only, did that. Right, he only does it for political reasons. Yeah. Well, and to find out more about his own pageants. Maybe. He did say... Um, did we run that clip from this morning? Which? That he uh, he talked about how no. he didn't apologize. It's clip eight, if you could play that for us there. You know, really no, all I was doing was referring to a picture that was uh, reported and in a magazine, and I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Now, I don't know what it was exactly, but it was a major story and a major publication, and it was picked up by many other publications. It, it was the and, National Enquirer, and even the, well, the expert I mean, the that National, cited said it George, couldn't be sure The National Enquirer gave you uh, John Edwards. It gave you O.J. Simpson. It gave you many, many things. I mean, you can't knock the National Enquirer. It's uh, brought many, many yeah. things to light, not all of them pleasant. Uh, the fact is that it was a cover story on the National Enquirer. It was picked up by many other people and, and, and magazines and uh, periodicals and newspapers, and all I did was refer to it. So no apology? I'm just referring to an article that appeared. I mean, it has nothing to do with me. And There you go. There you go. That is a master class in distancing yourself from a story that only got attention because you mentioned it. Yeah. And at the same time, justifying your behavior by past stories that may be questionable as to actually their truthfulness. Well, here are some other headlines. Oh, good. Out of the National Enquirer. Oh, great. Bigfoot kept Lumberjack. No. As a love slave. True dat. Father goes in for a kidney treatment and leaves as a woman. Okay. Nope. Can't do that one. Oh, uh, it also gave us the headline, Hillary Clinton adopts alien baby. Oops. Yeah. That is the Enquirer. I was like, is that the star? Is nope. that the globe? So it, it, it has, it's, it's been breaking a lot of news. I can't know all these names. Yeah. Well, you got to read something when you're standing in the line of the grocery store. You can't store. argue. The minute you're arguing the National Enquirer, you're losing the argument. Yes. But you also probably shouldn't be citing the National Enquirer, <laughs> especially today, honestly, of all days. But as we learn, he, he knows only what he reads on the internet. Yeah. He said that before. So or, if, or on cable news. If, or on cable news, because he, he sits there yeah. on his couch or whatever, and he watches cable news. That's where he gets his news. That's right. That's So he's, 
I guess if we look at it through that that prism, I guess, mm-hmm. of where he's getting his information, this makes sense. This is, yeah. What is a source? What is legitimate reporting anymore? Right. Is it the National Enquirer? Sure. It's news. Must you cite your sources or can you just say what you want and then have someone disprove it? I mean, inquiring minds want to know. That's the that's their tagline. Whose tagline? The National Enquirer. Wow, really? Yeah, when they had TV commercials when I was a kid. Yeah, I thought I just made and that then, up. Then they'd have people like looking at the magazine and like peek over the top of it, like me. You know, <laughs> you might be able to get a job there, Matt. Pardon? You seem to fit in well with their culture. Hey. Wow. Mr. Listeria. It is not confirmed what it was. Absolutely. Mr. Stomach Flu for stayed home. three days needing a vacation. That was no vacation. <laughs> Man, but you know what is amazing? Your abs look ripped. Yeah. You have oh, yeah. never looked more skinny and ripped. <laughs> I'm sorry you had to go through that. But welcome back on uh, May 4th, by the way, Star Wars Day. May the 4th Not be a lot. With you. Absolutely. This is the day... Terry has been waiting for. Eh. They do release a lot of new toys on May the 4th. And that matters to you. Why? They're fun to look at on like YouTube when they unbox them and you're like, well, check that out. Ooh, that's good. That yeah. would be fun. Look that's at that. Great that's great fun. Here's another good toy. I can get three of those just to find for a kid, but yeah. really for myself. Another lightsaber to inflict pain on your child. It's not pain. Inflict terror. No, because he attacks me just as much. Torture. Am I not allowed to defend myself? <laughs> no. Well, yeah, to somebody bigger than you. He's four, but but he's very very vicious for four. Yeah, he's a he is a mean four. You got to watch out for that kid. I mean, there's four year olds, and then there's four year olds. Do you think um, it was Lou Holtz that that tipped the deal for Donald? I think he was leading going into Indiana, but I think Lou Holtz. Bobby Knight, and who else did he get? There was some other iconic indie. Well, he got the governor. No, actually, Ted Cruz got the governor. Oh, yeah. Cruz. Reluctantly, yeah. As, as the headlines read. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> okay, we got to talk about the Ted Cruz accidentally punching his wife, um, elbow. He elbowed her in the face as he was reaching to hug his dad, and she was like underneath his arm at one point, it looked yeah. like. It was really, it, it's again, very awkward, and this tends to happen to politicians. Yeah, poor they try to do something Heidi. genuine, and it just looks awkward. She has had a tough campaign. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's not going to want to run ever again. Probably not. <laughs> or at least run in a place where people, you know, like the family. <laughs> right, right. And don't try to use her as cannon fodder. Um, you know, it, it, it was funny last night because when I heard Ted Cruz was dropping out, um, I went and read all about it, and I watched Trump's speech but i didn't know that what's his name had dropped out uh cruz had dropped out and then this thought came to my mind well what about Kasich? Mm. and so i went looking and there's an article titled yes comma john Kasich is still running for president he is so if anybody's wondering he is still running he says there's two paths forward there's donald trump and then there's john Kasich as donald's vice president that's what I'm going. He for. got seven percent of the vote last night. Yeah, in Indiana. So, but the thing about it is, he would beat every candidate if he were going to, if he could win, if he could run, just, uh, you know, in the in the general election. If he could get by Trump, 
He would beat Hillary or Bernie. Which is why he'd be a great vice presidential candidate, I'm telling you. Well, to play the moderate, but, you know, apparently Donald might have to choose a, a conservative, which seems like, I don't know, ew. I mean, it seems like now, which conservative they all ran. Now, these numbers came out before the Indiana primary, so okay. on Monday. But uh, Trump does not fare well against either Democratic candidate. The new CNN poll completed before Tuesday's primary in Indiana. Clinton led Trump by 50, 54 to 41%, 13-point advantage being her largest lead since last summer. Uh, the results found that Bernie Sanders had an even bigger edge on Trump, beating uh, him by 16 points. So Bernie wow, even more against Donald Trump. Closing it. John Kasich, whose odds, odds of becoming the Republican nominee are nearly insurmountable, actually beats Clinton in both polls and sits only four points behind Sanders. So Sanders yeah. actually has an, has an advantage there, but four points. So that's within the margin of error. Um, yeah. When you, when you think about that, so that, 13 points is nothing. I think that's driving Kasich. I think he's looking at that like, if I can get to a convention. But, I mean. But not, not if Trump has the votes. <laughs> I know. Not if he has the delegates. He, he's hoping that a vast majority of Republicans. Maybe Kasich doesn't want to go know. back to Ohio and be governor anymore. Maybe not. Maybe he's tired. Could be. Let me just run for president. I don't know. Or, or maybe there's a, uh, a big legal battle going on in Ohio and he's trying to avoid it by saying, I'm, on, I'm running for president. Yeah, no. And then once that right. passes, that's then you know. <laughs> It's not that. It's, you know, he doesn't want to go back. It's, um, he's, he just, I, I think it'd be hard to, f to finish your candidacy. You know what I mean? Just to wrap it up and go he, home? Think of how great that is. He gets to go out and meet people and press the flesh and find people that Literally like him. tens of people. I know. No, <laughs> yes. he has more following than that. Okay, 11. Dozens. And, um. He has a whole 7%. I know. <laughs> you guys are negative. Well, no, you, you see his gatherings and they're in like restaurants and retirement yeah, but, centers. but still they're coming for him. I think they're coming because it's it's kind of the oddity of seeing someone who's running for president. <laughs> free I don't pizza. know if they're, they're, it might be free pizza. Yeah. You don't know. He might yeah. have a, a nice little giveaway that's happening that we're not aware of. Hey, um, here's a funny fact for you. Ooh. Just, just so we can establish, usually funny facts aren't funny. Yeah, this one's not funny, okay. but it's incredible. And people usually lead with funny fact and then fail to deliver. Okay, here we go. Tell go me ahead. if we deliver. Not according, to just deflate your According to the entire... Huffington Post. See, we think we know everything. So, like, we'll give this great stat about Donald Trump's, mm. uh, you, know, uh, you know, likelihood of becoming president. And we, we are clueless. We don't have a clue. Here's how come I know that. We thought we, you know, we knew a thing or two about our planet, Mother Earth. But guess what? A new study has found that um, this wonderful Earth that we live on has a mind-blowing one trillion species, roughly 135 species for every man, woman, and child alive. And we only have yet to unearth less than like one hundredths of one percent of all species. Mm -hmm. So 99.99999% of all that, species, that's counting we don't even know what they are. Bacteria, microscopic uh, organisms. Yeah, which, by the way, some could cure cancer. Yeah, but I mean... Some could regrow hair. It's not like you're walking through a forest and you're like, oh, look, bacteria. No, you'd have to discover it. But I yeah. want you to notice something. It's kind of boring. But we're so comfortable. It's different if it's a bear. 
Yeah, but we're, yeah, because you know that species. <laughs> it's a bear. But the sad thing is, is you could also walk through the forest, just get a little tiny prick on your finger, right, and find out that now you're a superhero named Spider Man. No, it's not how it would ever work. Or that you have a foodborne illness. And right, that's probably how it would work. You could, let's just say that you went to a, a lunch with your church group. You got to cut your arm off. And the next thing you know, you're worshiping the porcelain <laughs> thrones. Thrones. And yeah. No, it's. It, I totally understand what you're talking about, but it won't lead to superpowers. It will lead to a horrible infection no, that could kill you. It won't. It might at first, but as they're using now herpes and other viruses <laughs> to cure other diseases like cancer, yeah. eventually that will not kill you. Or there was some story with carp. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to infect them with some injecting. sort of herpes to yeah. help them with some ailment. Yeah. And like we're like that. There's no way that's going to go wrong, right? Just yeah. There's Did no they not way. get the memo? Herpes bad, <laughs> even gonna, in carp. It's not going to contaminate other things like it's, humans. I just I'm just trying to humble everybody that we have no clue what's out there. Ninety nine percent of Earth species we don't even know exist. We don't even know what they are. Yet we're all confident. Like yeah, but it's going to rain tomorrow. <laughs> you don't have a clue. <laughs> it's going to rain. Let tomorrow. me grab a species you've never seen, and then let's see it. You know, see if it's going to rain tomorrow. You don't I think that's great analysis. That's Thank great. You. Good job. Thank you very much. I feel like I've grown this morning. Um, <laughs> do you do you eat a lot of vegetables? At times. How about you, Ben? Just depends. Ben, do you eat a lot of vegetables? I've been known to eat a didn't, few. Didn't you just have a lasagna, a vegetable, a vegetarian lasagna? Yeah. How'd that go? It may or may not gave him food poisoning. We don't know yet. <laughs> it, it definitely went somehow or another. Yeah. <laughs> it just depends which way it went, right? It just it just went four different directions. <laughs> I saw it both ways. So. You know what? That is so sad. That's why people are eating fewer vegetables. 7% fewer vegetables uh, people are eating. 7%... Over the last five years, consumption of vegetables has declined 7%, and many are attributing it to the cost of vegetables. Hmm, They're too expensive. Well, if you skip the processed food and just buy vegetables and just take the money you would have spent on the stuff that may or may not be food that they're making in some laboratory somewhere and calling it food. It's all made out of corn, man. Yeah, if you just go over and actually- Corn is a vegetable. If you take that money and actually buy vegetables, they're not that expensive because you're not buying that other stuff. Oh, we'll find out. Stay we'll, on the perimeter we, of your grocery store. We're going to talk to a pro about this. Margaret Marshall will be joining us. We will be talking about, uh, is eating healthy really more expensive? By the way, she's not only like a nutritionist, but she's and an author. She also shops. So she's going to make the argument, I think, that it doesn't have to be. Vegetables go on sale, too. You need to just eat what's available and what's affordable. You can't just have your favorite. I always just like to eat strawberries. They're Sure, they're always expensive, but I just love them, and that's the only thing my kids will eat. Well, maybe we'll uh, get some tools, some tricks for how to get our kids to eat some vegetables, but also how to, how to be able to afford it so we can be healthier. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Helping you live longer by eating your veggies, just like Grandma used to say. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever gone to the grocery store and then you see the price of the vegetables and you're thinking, what? You want me to eat better, but you don't want to make it affordable? So is the idea that eating healthy is really more expensive, is that a real is that a real concept? Or is that something we just make up so we could eat, you know, junk food? Eating healthy is an essential part of an effort to become healthier, right, or to lose weight. And according to a study by the Produce for Better Health Foundation, after a brief rise through 2009, per capita fruit and vegetable consumption has declined 7% over the last five years. This has been driven primarily by decreased consumption of vegetables by 7% and fruit juice by 14%. So, you know, it also uh, may be because prices for healthy foods are on the rise. According to a study by the Overseas Development Institute, prices for healthier foods have been rising. Our guest today is Margaret Marshall, wellness consultant, and she joins us today to talk about her article that we read in the Huffington Post, Is Eating Healthy Really More Expensive?, she joins us now live from New York to help us answer that question. Margaret Marshall, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning. Thrilled to be with you today, Matt. You too. Great to have you. I mean, this we all complain, you know, about uh, like vegetables being too expensive and we're not eating them enough. But is that true? Is healthier food really more expensive? You know, you had just read the uh, study that you saw, and that is mind-boggling, really. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you said that was from 2009 or since 2009. Yeah, I think so since my, 2009. Five. So my, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just since, since about probably uh, uh, through 2009, and then at, from 2009 on, uh, when those numbers came out. It's dropping. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Um, that's pretty sad. No, totally. That's pretty sad. So if people are not buying fresh produce, where are they spending their money? You know, that's, I think, what every shopper and family has to ask themselves. What's in my shopping cart? Where's my money going? And is it being well spent on the health of myself and my family? And, you know, it's it's funny. I had written this article for Huffington Post right after I had done a seminar. And once again, I heard someone from a seminar or you know, say, have you seen the price of lettuce lately? Or have you, you know, the price of bananas are so high. And I always say, when people say that to me, what's the, what's the price tag on your favorite box of cookies? And right. they never have an answer. <laughs> never look. Yeah. They never look. And, and I find that, and in that moment, that's a reality check for them because they'll complain about the price of of uh, fresh produce because if it's not seasonal what they're buying is not seasonal but they'll continue to buy boxes of food that has no nutritional value in it whatsoever the price on that continues to rise and not only is the price rising on those foods the quantity in the boxes are getting smaller and smaller so you know they're just not thinking things through clearly that's what your article does is it answers I mean, what's the cost, sure, of, of everything else you're doing? And, I mean, it all adds up one way or another. You're going to spend money either in the doctor's office or at Weight Watchers or, you know, in the produce section. Right. <laughs> Where are you going to spend it? Right. That's correct. And, and, and what's really better for you? You know, if you, if you feed your body with food 
that is going to give it the nutrients it needs and the vitamins it needs and give you the energy you need and the stamina to live a healthy lifestyle, well, then you're not going to be spending money at as much money in the doctor's office and at pharmacies and in weight loss programs, which is a $60 billion industry. Wow. So explain that. Right. You know, explain why the weight loss field is a $60 billion industry and people are worried about their lettuce being a dollar higher than it was last week. Is... It seems like it's an excuse, right? And I mean, like I know with me, if the vegetables are there and they're in front of me, and I'll eat them. It's but my idea is, then I hear about McDonald's trying to do some garlic fries, and I think, well, I got to drive out of my way to get those. Is it's, that right? It's it's this idea though uh, that I guess we're lazy. Is it lazy? If you're driving out of your way no. to get something, is it lazy? No, yeah, no, it's, or is it habit? I'm mo- or motivated, right? I'm more motivated to oh, go okay. try something than I am to to actually go. But I, I'll sit there and watch on Facebook. Somebody, I don't even know how it's in my feed, but I'll watch people cutting up vegetables and making vegetables look so beautiful in this meal. And I'm like, yeah, I should do that. And then I just okay. flip and go to the next one. <laughs> and And what stops you? It, well, I guess what stops me in the end is I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Even just going, my wife will say, can you go pick out some tomatoes? And I get to the produce section and I'm like, I don't know how to judge a tomato. It's, I feel awkward. So, really? Yeah. I if that's true for many people, I, I, you know, that very well could be. And again, it's all what you're accustomed to. Hmm. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, I, I don't know about the, the um, garlic fries. I don't even know about them. I don't. I'll, I'll let you know when I try them. They're not on my radar screen. Let me put it that way. <laughs> uh, but when m- many people who eat sugary items, processed sugary items like cake and candy and ice cream, they find that fruit really has no taste because it's not as sweet as what they're accustomed to having. But once you realize that you cut out all that processed food, fruit has a fantastic taste. It's sweet enough, and the taste like will burst in your mouth. The flavor will burst in your mouth. But that's not going to happen if you're eating all that artificial sweetener or processed sugars. So the patterns are, are a big part of this. We have to look at our, our eating patterns because if I am overloading myself with sugar, I mean, and I mean, if I'm drinking sugar all day, just oh all of a sudden, yeah. How could a how could a cherry taste distinct and special if you've been drinking cherry coke all day? Right, right, right. How do you compare it? It all goes back to your patterns and your habits. You know, I'm just thinking also what you just said about going and picking out tomatoes and not knowing um, how to do that. I just had company about a week or so ago, and I entertain often, but I was making this recipe with avocados, and truthfully, I never bought an avocado in my life, Hmm. even though I know how good they are for you. It was just never in my pattern. So I went to buy this avocado, and I cut it up, and it was so easy (laughs) to do, and tasted so delicious. But I said, why haven't I been doing this all along? Yeah. So now avocados is part of my weekly grocery shopping list. And Well, so, I, don't you think, Margaret, a lot of people, um, and we do it, where you get in this idea, this, this, this moment in your head where you're like, okay, well, I'm going to do it. And we're going to buy vegetables, and you buy the vegetables, and you don't, and we end up just seeing them disintegrating in our fridge. Um, 
it's we it's almost like we're motivated to do it and then either maybe we don't know what we're doing but it's as easy as that you just have to almost force yourself to go get an avocado and ask the produce guy or gal how would how do you pick up how you pick one and then i mean by the way google it you can google every one of these things and and just try stuff it just like you're saying change the pattern change the pattern um you know it's interesting i have i have a story like that in my book and I know you saw my Huffington Post on this, but I have almost 60 Huffington Posts out there, so I hope you read them all. By the way, and what, what's the best – do you have a website where we can go – I do have a website. It's margaretmarshallassociates.com. Right. And Marshall has two L's. It's, it's time for me to update my website, but all of my Huffington Posts are on there. Um, but my, my thinking was I have, I have one Huffington Post. I cannot off the top of my head remember what I titled it, but the story is also in my book or this – theme is also in my book, Body, Mind, and Mouth, that people buy fresh produce when they go grocery shopping with the best of intentions. Mm. But they also buy the cake and the cookies and the candies at the same time. So when they bring everything home at the end of the week, what have they eaten and what's getting thrown out? Yeah, all the cake's gone. Mm, the cookies cake, are the gone. They're gone. The sugar cereal's gone. The, the, you know drinks, sugary drinks, gone. Because once you start eating sugar, that's all you want. You want more and more sugar, you know? That's true. So for people who are throwing out their produce, and I have a whole Huffington Post on this, I guess, but of course I can't remember the title of it. People who are throwing out their fresh produce at the end of the week, they're either buying too much, with good intentions, no sure. doubt, or they're eating food that is not nourishing them, and they're just eating too much of that. And they never get to the fresh produce because they have that, that taste in their mouth of, of sugar or fat, and they, you want to keep going for that once you start eating that. Well, and, let's, let, and we'll, we'll get to that because talk about cost. Talk about expensive. If you're eating a bunch of food that doesn't actually nourish you and doesn't make you feel better and um, – that's that's not healthy, then you're going to end up having to buy a lot more of it. So we're, we we'll come back, Margaret, and I want your your tips and some of your your ideas and and ways to you know eat healthy and still you know make it affordable for a family for for just any of us. Where again, we're speaking with Margaret Marshall. If you go to her website, MargaretMarshallAssociates.com, a wonderful resource there to. Um, to go through all of her articles from Huffington Post and her media and her and her blog, all of her information she's got, plus to to get a better look at her book as well. Um, we are going to continue this discussion on the other side of the break. Stick with us when we come back. How to uh, eat a healthy diet affordably? This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you are going to use the the cost of produce is too expensive as the excuse for why you're not eating produce, then, man, have we got a guest for you. Uh, Margaret uh, Marshall joins us, and uh, she is a, uh, a writer, an author, and has been actually, um, she's written many, many articles for Huffington Post, and she, she wrote one about eating healthy. Is it really more expensive? And that's what caught our attention because we hear the excuse, I use the excuse, 
I, I don't use that excuse for why I, I don't eat vegetables. I, I don't eat vegetables because I'm lazy and because um, uh, all of the other wonderful cakes and cookies that I eat are way better to my palate. The problem is it's not about the money because you're spending money in a variety of different ways. It's about your patterns and it's about um, it's about some other choices that uh, Margaret is going to be teaching us now. Margaret Marshall, welcome back to the show. Hi, Matt. Good to have you. Thank you. Great to be here. And uh, your book, Body, Mind, and Mouth, Life's Eating Connection, um, that, I guess they could find that anywhere, huh? They can find that anywhere. Uh, they can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's on the shelves. It's in libraries. I also have a new book coming out in June. Mm, what's it called? Yeah, the title of that is Healthy Living Means Living Healthy. And it's all about how you are in control of your healthy living. Yeah, so it's it a it, that that is a uh, that's like empowering, right? I'm in charge of my own decisions. I'm in charge of how much I eat, and I'm in charge of what I buy and if I consume it. Right, and if that's not working for you, this book will help you change it in in, in a multitude of ways. Whether it's a holiday or family or stress, you know. It, it's all categorized with different ideas for you for different challenges that you come up with throughout the year. Great. Talk to us about uh, some tips. What are some things that we could do to find cost-efficient, healthy foods? Well, the first thing, and this is what I always tell my clients to do, and, and I ask them to practice it yearly, is to shop for what's seasonal. First of all, if you're going to buy fresh produce that's seasonable in your area, it, it's going to be more cost-effective for you. It's not going to be as costly, and it's going to have more nutrients in it because the longer a fresh item has to travel to your grocer's shelf, the less nutrients it will have in it. So, like, I live in New York. You know, I wouldn't buy watermelon in, in the winter, although the grocery stores have it. It's not as tasty, and uh, it costs it's very expensive. But there are other fruits that I would buy in the winter. And the same is true with the summer. You know, I'd buy fruits in the summer. I'd certainly buy watermelon in the summer. But um, depending on where you live, look for what's local. And, again, you mentioned Google. I always have my clients Google what is local in their area and then go for that food, uh, fresh produce for that. They have a lot of farmer's markets. There's just local things. I mean, I'm assuming that's a great thing just get to your farmer's market farmer's markets will always be first of all the the best tasting fruit that you can get and here on long island we certainly have farms out on the east end of long island with farm stands all over the place and that is the best in my opinion the best uh, produce we can get i can't always get there so i do have to rely on on grocery stores Um, but if you have that in in where you're living Ideal. That's just ideal. It seems like you have to almost broaden your palate a little bit because if all all your kids will eat are strawberries, then, yeah, you're going to pay a lot of money. Well, you know, it's really funny, Matt, because you keep bringing these items up. I have another another Huffington Post uh, that I wrote a long time ago is How to Satisfy Your Picky Eater. And one of the things I wrote in there is, you know, your kids are picky mainly because of what you're doing. Hmm. So always notice what you're doing and how you're eating because that is going to dictate what your kids are going to eat or not to eat. Yeah. Um, so if they're only eating strawberries, you know, think about what are you really bringing into the house and what are they trying? That's so true. And, I mean, the, the distance between a strawberry and a kiwi, very small. <laughs> and um, yeah. we just introduced kiwis 
to uh, our kids, and they are like, what? Nirvana. They, they like loved it. it. Oh, wow. Look at that. Now, one of them had, you know, all the prickly hair on the outside of it all over his lips. Right. But oh, we, we had to teach him that. But, um, How old are your children? Uh, I have uh, from 10 up to 22. Okay, so they're a little older, and so that, that's a great time to start building those taste buds, especially before they go off to college and right. start eating all the, uh, the food in the cafeteria on the college campus. If they're used to eat, eating nutritious food, they're going to be looking for that. Yeah, and, and and they and they already they already do. In fact, when like when we go somewhere where there's a salad bar, you can see that they'll they'll pick and take their favorite items. Um, it, what are some other tricks that you use to make sure that uh, you're, you're able to eat the veggies and the fruits and and do it affordably? Well, you know what? It's it's funny because people will say to me, you know, I, I always I have my five finger food guide, and I I lump lump fruits and vegetables into one food group, as many people do. And, and so when I do seminars or I work with clients, they always say it should be more vegetables, right, than fruit. Well, sure, in a perfect world, you should be eating more vegetables than fruit. But very often when I start working with people, they're not eating any of it. Right. They're not eating any vegetables. They're not eating any fruit. So if I can get them to eat the fruit first and then we can work on the vegetables, that's fine, too. You know, it's just getting them into that produce aisle and getting them to look at different things, just as your family did with with the kiwi. Walk down the produce aisle. Talk to the people who are working in the produce aisle. Ask them what just came in or, you know, what is this? I remember one time looking for spaghetti squash years Mm. ago, the first time I was going to eat it. And I said to the produce manager, I said, what does it look like? (laughs) I didn't know. And um, you only have to ask once. After that, you know. And you you really only need two or three recipes of for you know for banana squash to make it a major part of your life really right right like I didn't right. know you could use it as pasta and all of a sudden spaghetti squash could be pasta wow spaghetti squash could be pasta or if you don't want it to be all your pasta mix it with pasta that's so that great you're not eating all of the pasta you know or um. You know, there's so many things you can do if you just take a step back. First, ask other people, Google it, read about it, but take a step back and say, what is working for me? Because in in my article here, and I truly, truly believe this, and I'm going to read it just as I wrote it, your eating affects everything from your health to your level of success. What you eat, what you choose to eat can dictate moods, relationships, and lifestyle. Hmm. And that is so true. And it may not, you may not see it in the day, but you will see it as the months and the years go on. You know, if, if, if you're in a profession um, and you're moving forward in your profession and as the years go on and you're not eating well and you're not looking healthy and you're putting weight on and you're getting slower and your brain is not as sharp as it once was because you're feeding it a lot of sugar, when the promotions roll around, you're not going to be a candidate. So true. It's you know? so true. And they're not going to tell you that. Right. But you're not going to be a candidate. So that's going to hit you in the pocket as well. No, yeah. I mean, that's the point you make in the article is you're going to be hit in the pocket a variety of ways. It's not just at the store, but it's it might be in your job and your lack of promotion. But if you eat healthier foods and they're more nourishing for you, you'll eat less. You'll absolutely eat less because your body doesn't need as much. When you're eating foods that is giving, you know, your body will crave what it needs. But if you're giving it all the wrong food 
that's the message you're getting from it now, and it wants to keep having it. So because it's still looking for the nutrients it needs, and it's not getting it. So you want to keep eating and keep eating. So the food that you're buying that's not nourishing, you're eating more of. But when you nourish your food, your, your body with good protein and good produce and and healthy fats, you don't need to eat as much. And I, is- I get. I was just going to say. Um, I, I guess in the end too. If you're being nourished and you're healthier, um, you'll have the energy to go exercise, the energy to to be more active, less lethargic, maybe a little more color back in your face. Also, in the end, though, you'll be healthier. And if you're healthier, then other costs will go down, uh, insurance costs um, and other things. I mean, certain issues that we all deal with with health, heart issues, anxiety issues. I mean, a lot of these could just be based on our lifestyle and our sedentary lifestyle. Absolutely, so true. And um, you know, I'm looking at my 60th birthday in July, and I am so. I know anything can happen tomorrow. I understand that, but I am so um, blessed. And and of course, I've worked at this. That I am facing 60 years old with no medications, mm. no ill health. But another one of my Huffington posts you can read is um, what did I title it? Eat for your heart's health. Mm. Eat for your heart's health heart's desire or something like that. What's the saying? Eat for eat to your heart's desire? To your heart's I, desire, yeah. I changed that for, to eat for heart health, and, it, and I'm honest enough in there to talk about my husband's heart disease. And so you can't control anybody else. Yeah. You can only control yourself. You can be a, an example, but you can only control yourself. Yeah. You know? Um, so maybe somebody wants to go and read about that. And see where that led, but um, but you can also, I mean, in a family, we can also deeply influence each other, and it might just mean we need to dig a little deeper to make vegetables a little more interesting. Find a different way to present them. I mean, I'm pretty sure if we put um, if we put uh, spaghetti squash inside of spaghetti and served it as pasta to our kids, most of them wouldn't notice it, and then those that did uh, would be fine with it, and all of a sudden you're getting these servings in them, and, and they're enjoying it. Right. One thing I noticed, too, my kids are in their 30s, but one thing I noticed, too, is don't try and trick them yeah. either. You know, spaghetti squash is orange, so it doesn't look like pasta so much. But you say, I made this, this is different, let's try this, you know. And, You'll and, love it, right. And, yeah, and, you know, I know, it don't pass off mashed cauliflower with mashed potatoes. Oh. You, know, you tried a new recipe with cauliflower, and, and then they expect that taste. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's learning, isn't it? Well, Margaret, we appreciate your time and your insight on this. Again, everybody, go check out her website, margaretmarshallassociates.com. Wonderful resources there, as well as all of those Huffington Post uh, articles that you can read through. And, Margaret, we appreciate you. Thank you. It really is, when you think about it, folks, it's your life, right? And uh, we, we got to do something. We, we, you know, we can keep talking about your health. And there's a point where, where we really, we just, we need to just get healthy. Or not. You know, you can just die. Just die. No, we, we want to we do what we can. Take a break. We'll come back and, uh, you know, talk about Petite and Proud Day. The day for those people under 5 foot 4. We'll get to that. Also give you uh, some of the latest research about uh, what percentage of Americans are actually living a healthy lifestyle. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Helping you live longer. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, let's quit making fun of short people. Today, folks, is Petite and Proud Day for all people under five foot four. You have a day where you can be petite and proud. Are you tired of people making derogatory comments about your size, calling you half pint, vertically challenged, or titch? I've never heard of titch. Um, Petite and Proud Day is all about celebrating our lack of height and advantages it brings. For example, petite and proud people can squeeze into small places. We don't bang our heads on low ceilings, the article says, and they can fit in in children's clothing. You know what I mean? Which saves money, quite honestly. Anyway, apparently short people live longer than their lankier counterparts, which is definitely worth celebrating. So if you really, really want to celebrate today, you got two choices. Star Wars Day. May the force be with you. May Nerd the alert. force be with you. Nerd alert. Or Petite and Proud Day, which is uh, a celebration to our good board operator, Ben. Good to have you, Ben. You, good to have you back. Am I short? What? Petite. I call you petite. Oh, okay. Not short. I mean, you stand on a box when you do the show. You can see it? Yeah. Dang it. Plus, it tips over regularly. I mean, you don't think we're noticing? Well, I thought you were focused on something else. No, no. Oh, no. No, no, just doing the show. So good to have you back, Ben. Thank you. Um, uh, Just a little health concern warning for you. Um, Ben has had the stomach flu for... Not the stomach flu, uh, maybe food poisoning. Food poisoning, I think it was. For about two days, two and a half days. Yeah. But it felt more like a week. Yeah. Yeah. Good to have you back. Thank you. And uh, to celebrate, guess what I'm doing? What? I'm going to take you to lunch. Vegetarian, very vegetarian lasagna for everyone. Let's go get ice cream. <laughs> he may have been uh, the vegetarian lasagna. Maybe. We don't know. We don't know. He is the only one that got sick, and he did make the vegetarian lasagna. So, In my shower this time, that may have been the problem. Exactly. It wasn't my tub. Hey, in a new study in the journal uh, Mayo Clinic Proceedings, a group of researchers set out to answer the, this very question. They looked at the data from a nationally representative sample of 5,000 people to see how many hit four healthy targets. Okay. Four healthy targets. The four targets were these. Exercise. They, they, they gave everybody an activity tracker and had them um, ex, uh, show that they're exercising at either a moderate or a higher intensity for at least 150 minutes per week. Number one. Number two, diet. Do you adhere to the federal government's definition of a good diet, which emphasizes uh, ample produce and limited saturated fats, sodium, and added sugar? Three, body composition. Would a body composition scanner show that you have body fat percentage between 5 and 20% if you're a male and 8 and 30% if you're a female? And the fourth criteria, smoking status. Could you pass a blood test proving that you don't smoke? Four things, exercising, 150 minutes, diet, According to the uh, the federal government's definition of a good diet, body composition, 5 to 20% for male, 8 to 30% for female, and smoking status. Could you pass that test? Now, be honest. Guess what the numbers were? Only 2.7% of the 5,000 people they were studying could hit all four benchmarks. 
less than 3% of the population could hit all four. Men score worse than women. They are less likely to eat well. Only 32% of men eat well compared to 44% of women. And uh, men score worse on abstaining from smoking. 63% of men abstain from smoking compared to 80% of women. The scientists also tested the subjects for uh, blood for markers that would indicate their risk for cardiovascular disease. And um, men are the more of the targets a person hits, the lower they are at risk. But not surprisingly, people already know that eating right and exercise will make them healthier. It's just making healthy choices. Oh, it's so hard. It's so, so hard. So um, how do you do it? 3% of the population could meet those four criteria. Boom. It might be just a great place to start. That article is in menshealth.com. It might be worth looking at just four things. Quit the smoking, work on your body composition, diet, and exercise. Just four things. Oh, I know, but Matt, what about the donuts? Great question, Timmy. Well, Timmy, at your wake, we will be passing around the donuts, my friend, as your heart hardens and you die. That was a little dramatization that we like to throw together for yeah, you. Yeah, who's Timmy? Timmy is my imaginary friend. Okay. That I talk to and I use as an example on the show. I thought you'd know that by now. Apparently, the listeria. Amnesia has been impacting from, yeah. your retention in your brain. Anyway, we'll take a break, but we'll be right back. Relax. And when we come back uh, next hour, we will be getting into uh, some of the marketing techniques that people use to get their kids to eat healthier. Hmm. You're going to want to hear this because these same techniques also work in making businesses, you know, uh, more able to market and get other people to uh, to bite and chew on what they're selling. Interesting marketing techniques, lessons of persuasion from people who were able to get their kids to eat the veggies. Stick with us, folks. That's coming up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We're doing what we can on the show to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives it's the least we can do. Happy Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. This is usually when um, every Star Wars, what do we call them? Fan? Not what you wanted to say. Yeah. You wanted to say something else. I showed restraint. Alert nerd. And uh, it's when they come out of the woodwork today. I have a feeling... When I go on my walk around campus, you, you may see some of that. I will see people with Yoda ears. Mm. Yeah. May the fourth be with you. Mm. It's also Petite and Proud Day. Would you call yourself Petite? For sure. Okay. But according to their, according to the actual uh, article, I'm not. You have to be under five foot four. 
Mm. I'm more husky. Yeah. More. Even if you were under 5'4", you still have to be petite. Petite means you could still wear clothes from the juniors. Right. Rack. Okay. Yeah. I'm not that. You're not. Okay. Can men be petite? Oh, sure. Or is it because there's like actual size of clothing for women that's petite? petite. Yeah. I, I know, know this that, because, you know, I know a woman. Well, yeah, since the arrest, we understand. <laughs> since but, the um, arrest, right. That, that's a better story. Go with that one. It's men, men don't usually want to be known as petite, right? Yeah. It seems not as masculine as like you're you, you want to be like, man, woo! I'm an extra large. What are you talking about? I <laughs> guess the, the opposite. I mean, it's like men don't want to be known as um, husky. No offense. Yeah, that that sounds kind of derogatory. Yeah. Husky. I wouldn't consider you husky. I would consider you because you're in great shape. You are you are just thick. You're a thick right. guy. Fire plug. Big if you bones. Will. Stout. <laughs> yeah. I'm more dainty. Dainty. Delicate. I have very delicate ankles. <laughs> I they, consider myself chiseled. That's how. The well, there can be one. Well, chiseled, sure, after three days of being in the bathroom. Chiseled, it's not your ribs that we need to see. To be chiseled, you need abs. Yeah. Oh, I've had plenty of ab workouts the last three days. I don't want to hear about it. That's disgusting. That sounds horrible. Um, We're going to be talking with uh, Lara Vanderkam, who is going to teach us how to persuade people to do things. She's with a group... Um, called Food Corp. No, she's not. Oh, she's not. She used the in she used the article. Their examples. She used Food Corp. Food Corp goes and and tries to uh, teach youth the value of eating vegetables and eating healthy. So she used she them as a model. An, she used them as a model to yeah. to kind of explain the the how you can persuade people to do things they may not want to do. Because if they can get people taking or eating their vegetables, then you should be able to get using the same principles people to maybe buy your product if you're a business owner. Right. It's a cool thing. And Food Corp is a good cause. It is. And she's um, she she's going to teach us all of those great lessons of how to how to persuade people. And we, we need to learn these things. We've been trying to teach Ben how to persuade a date. Yes. Right? Well, with him, he may have to persuade maybe just flat out lie. Right. Hey. I, uh, he might have to what, stretch the truth, if yeah, you will, yeah, yeah. to try yeah. to convince someone to spend a couple minutes with him. Well, and sometimes we have to first persuade him to drop the restraining order. I would just yeah. like to point out that I landed a date during the show. No, the word landed. What does that mean? I what? set up plans for a date. You, you landed. Well, I mean, Mother's Day is coming up, so it's nice. You're going to spend time with your mom. I understand. Yeah, that's not a date. No. I mean, you set the date, sure, but that's not. That's not a date. What? You seem resistant <sighs> to that idea. Don't you want to spend time with your mother? Yes, I do. Okay. But other than that, oh, I have a date this weekend. Really? Okay. Is your aunt in town? <laughs> he snapped his fingers. Check me out. Um, that's great. Um, you know what? Even a blind squirrel. Every. <laughs> 
Even a blind squirrel. Every dog, every dog has its day, right? Hey, by the way, speaking of miracles, <laughs> did you see this video? So there's a guy in some far off country. It was I found this on Mashable. Um, he's just riding his scooter down the street, down the road, and there's another truck passing, and they're riding down the road, and as they're driving, the dash cam from a third motorist shows a mattress fly out of the truck on the right across the lane and it lands right in front of the guy on his scooter and in this scooter guess what happens What's he that? runs into the mattress okay crashes but the guy falls on the mattress and is okay lands on the mattress lands on the mattress huh Tr- dash cam videos can be some of the most compelling things yeah Russia, apparently it's just a common thing to have a dash cam video in your car. Just have a camera there to record everything. I know. I, you know what I now am wearing? I'm wearing a GoPro on my forehead at all times. Really? I can hardly tell that you're wearing anything on your forehead at no, the moment. I know. I wear it all, everywhere I go. Really? Yep. Okay. Everywhere. Oh. <laughs> everywhere. Because. You never know. I'm gonna start a, I'm going to start a site that's about. Try to be me. Try well, to be mad. Document your taser business as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Self promotion is really the way to go with that. So good job. Thank you. I'm here to serve. We will, you, do we'll, I need to sign a release because I'm around you at times and I no. don't know if I want to be on the video. I mean, I'm sure there's probably a reason, like legally, I shouldn't be showing everybody. But no, yeah. I want everybody to see everybody. Okay. So if you have any mm. problems with that, just talk to my people. Some privacy issues there. Kind of the same thing that killed uh, Google Glass. Yeah. Some privacy issues. Yeah, but mine's different. Mine's Google Forehead, which yeah. is different. Mm, okay. Well, Nobody's we'll, afraid of a forehead. We'll talk. We'll talk. Right. You might run into some, some issues there. Yeah. I'll just have my people take care of it. That's <laughs> where you have people, right? Yeah. So we'll post that video of the magical mattress. Now, the guy's got to be grateful. What if it wasn't a mattress that shot out of that truck? Could have been anything. Could have been anything. Like a hot water heater? What if it was a hot water heater? And he lands on that? that Have you ever landed on a water heater? I have not. Not good. (laughs) Or a bed of nails? Uh, Yeah. A bed. What if the bed had nails in it? Those are quite common. I mean, bed of nails, it is Thailand. Maybe that's where bed of nails, you know, are used. I don't know where bed of nails come from. (laughs) It's not Serta. I I, I watched it, what, Indiana Jones had one? Yeah. They had a bed of nails in that movie. Let's go with stereotypes. By the way, do you know how hard it is to find a bed of nails? <laughs> They're not really a huge demand right. for And I'm stuff. not handy enough to make my own bed of right. nails. Right. So, anyway, you can go looking for that. There's, uh, just go to Dr. Matt, at, uh, at Dr. Matt Show. It'll change your life forever. Um, we'll also, uh, there's another video. I'm just big into videos lately. I found that a lot of times videos are so much easier to use and to watch than anything with words that you have to read. Mm hmm. If I had known this, I could have gone all the way through school without ever reading, just watching the internet. Um, I don't think it was quite as robust, the library of what you could watch when you were in school. What do you mean? The lack of the internet is kind of what I'm pointing at. Yeah, that's kind of true. There really was no internet when you were in school. Well, you don't need to be rude. It's not rude. I'm just stating facts. Well, right. What was that, like the 40s? Well, you know. Yeah. But, no, when I was a child, it was like the 70s. Really? Yeah. Which could have been the 40s, too. You never know. Yeah, I know. No, it was, it was the 70s because I was born in the 69. Really? Yeah. 
By the way, my birthday's uh, my birthday is Sunday, hmm. so I guess have everybody just bring me their presents um, on Friday. Okay, I'll send out the memo. I don't want to do it Monday because I'll I'll, I'll already have had my birthday party. Yeah. So I'd rather just that everybody bring their presents by, and don't make a fuss. Just hmm. leave it. Okay. Like. I'll go on a walk Friday, and I want everyone to just leave their presents. And then you come back and surprise. Yeah. Lots and, of presents. Yeah. Okay. But don't have Makes anyone sense. linger. Don't have anyone stay around. Do you want cards? No any cards. Heart, no heartfelt meaning. Just leave okay. Just leave the gift cards. You just want the stuff. Uh-huh. So yeah. anything we would have spent on a card, just invest it into the gift. Yeah, the gift. Okay. And I'd prefer, honestly, not even gifts, just gift cards, maybe yeah. Visa gift cards. What do I just cash? Cash is good. Okay. Yeah, I'll use cash. I'll take cash. Do you want to know where the cash even came from? No, just, just throw I it do on your not desk. care. And honestly, don't have anyone even put their names on it. Okay, so just piles of money on your desk. Because then I feel like obligated to say something, right. but it'd be better if I just... Keep it anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. So if we could have that all done by Friday, that'd be Okay, great. I'll pass that Mention around. Mention that in the meeting. Yeah, we'll take care of that. This is good. <laughs> this is efficient. It's gonna See be this? A great, it's going to be a great birthday party. <laughs> it's going to be such a great birthday party. Did you hear about the Ketchikan... Um, Fishing crew in Alaska, they had a little visitor in the dock area. What was that? Knudsen Cove. Have you ever, ever heard of that? No. Knudsen Cove Marina. No. Ketchikan, Alaska. A whale. Hmm. A whale. A huge, huge, huge whale swam into the marina. That's a problem. If it's as big as the ships, yeah. And it just starts kind of going around the marina. Just poking around, seeing what's going on. And when this thing emerges, like it goes under a bunch of boats, and when it comes out, it's a huge. I guess you can just they can just see the shadows of it. It's moving boats, and then it comes underneath the dock, and bada boom, bada bing, this thing breaches. Holy cow! Huge, a whale in your marina. Hey Tom, Tom, we've got a whale in the marina. Let me get my gun. Probably wouldn't do much damage there. I know, but you always go with your gun. Yeah, that's really the next step. Yeah. We'll have that video there as well. Again, be grateful. Whales, I'm going to show that to to Kaylee because she loves a good... A good whale story? She loves a whale of a story. Some news was made on the internet. The interweb? The interwebs. What's the most popular browser? The most popular browser would obviously be Googly. What do you mean? Googly. It's not a browser. Google. It's not a browser. Google it's a Chrome. Website. Chrome is the browser. Oh, sorry. Aha. Uh, Alphabet. Alphabet. Alphabet Chrome. <laughs> Alphabet Chrome. Uh, it was Explorer, Internet Explorer. Yeah, sure, in but the 80s. Nobody likes, no, as of like, yes, really? a couple, like last week. They had wow. 40-something percent of the market. And uh, just last month, Chrome held 41.71% of the market to Internet Explorer's 41.33. So Google Chrome just barely passed Internet Explorer. Explorer, you you, you get in a mixed company and there's someone in that group that just hates Internet Explorer. Interesting. I detest Internet Explorer. Why? It's just it's slow, doesn't work. They don't Don't. have a lot of the features that you need to to function. don't hate. Just... This is good news. Google Chrome is now the most popular uh, web browser in the world. Of course. 
That's the one I use. Internet Explorer had been the world's most popular browser dating back to last century when it unseated Netscape. Remember Netscape? Last century is such a weird statement. I know. Last century. Last century. Remember Netscape? Did you ever use Netscape? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I also used uh, AOL. Okay, whatever their browser was. Yeah, they had another one. But see, these companies, that used to be the name of the browser until they named the browser. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, like uh, Yahoo. What's their browser name? They don't have a browser. They have a website. But so when you go to Yahoo, don't you search on their browser for stuff? No. Are you sure? It's like talking to my mother. Are you sure? (laughs) Okay. So Google Chrome is a program you download to your computer that gives you access to the interwebs. Okay. Great. Google and then Microsoft has okay, so, Explorer. So answer me this. And they also have one, a new one called Edge. So and when, then there's one when called Google Firefox. started their company, yes. what was their first product? The website. Google.com. And it was a search engine. Yes. Google. Yes. And that would be different, you're saying, than getting on the internet, no. the browser? The browser would be Chrome, which is a program they created. But weren't they still getting you on the browser before they named it Chrome? No, you were using Internet Explorer or Netscape or Firefox sure? was out there. That's how this works. You... I think you were using one called Google. No, that's a website. And then they made it. Then they made this that. This is like talking to my then mother. Then they made that a name and <laughs> they called it Chrome. This is a bad idea. Just trying to say that Google Chrome just surpassed. I am going to show the you browsers. This. Now you're now you're confusing websites and 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 web browsers and. But then there's apps. Then there's apps. Don't even go there. <laughs> uh, we've got to get Laura Vanderkam on the on the phone. She is going to be teaching us about the power of persuasion. How do you you know how do you influence somebody to do something that's hard to do? She will be giving us seven lessons, tips on how to persuade people, and the lessons came from people that actually specialize in getting kids to eat their vegetables. It's a really cool story, and uh, there's so much to learn about getting people to do the tough stuff. Stick with us, folks. Helping you learn how to persuade others. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Wouldn't the world be a better place if everyone just saw things your way? Your projects at work could go smoother. Your home and you know world would look cleaner. Your relationships would be easier, right? It just seems like if people just got it like you do. Well, I guess that's the reason you need to try to persuade some people to see things your way. But how can you persuade other people to, to do things that are sometimes hard to do, that they don't like to do. Lara Vanderkam is a writer for Fast Company and the author of several time management and productivity books. And she uh, went straight to the persuasion professionals to find out the answer. She researched the company Food Corps, which is a, a, a branch, I guess, of AmeriCorps. And they, they have been teaching kids to eat their vegetables and to be healthy for years, and they're succeeding doing it. So, Laura, our next guest, went to figure out what it is it that they're doing. What are the persuasion secrets they're using? And she joins us today to discuss her article, Seven Lessons in Persuasion from People Who Get Kids to Eat Their Vegetables. 
Laura Vanderkam. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. What a fun article um, about persuasion, because really, we all we all at some point have to, you know, lead and persuade others. And um, of all the groups you chose to work with to figure this out, why did you choose Food Corps? Well, I think they do fascinating work. I mean, anyone who is a parent knows how difficult it is to convince young children to eat their vegetables. And we know it's good for them. I mean, we know it's good for us, and we don't necessarily want to do it either. Um, And Food Corps is doing work in schools, in underprivileged areas, um, people who may not have been exposed to a wide variety of vegetables before, and they're actually getting kids to try them, in some cases to like them. (laughs) They had some research that... uh, a number of kids um, had a far more positive view of vegetables after their programming. So I wanted to ask them, well, what are you doing, and what can the rest of us learn from this? That's great. I mean, really, and, and then you can uh, then you wrote about it in Fast Company, which is all for businesses and, and entrepreneurs. And um, talk about some of the principles. What did you learn from, uh, from these creative persuaders? Yeah, well, there are a lot of great lessons for, for business from these people who are winning over such tough, tough customers, really. Um, some of the most important ones are to really think about involving your customers in the process. Uh, people are so much more willing to do things when they think it is their idea. <laughs> um, and that it, it's human nature. Right. right? If, if we can be convinced that something is our idea, then we are all for it. Uh, so, so Food Corps, you know, involves children in gardening and in creating recipes. Um, but certainly this is something other organizations can do, too, in terms of figuring out what your customers really like, give them feedback into it. I mean, particularly if you want to try to pilot things with small groups of, you know, sort of super fans of your product. Anything you can do to make people feel like they have ownership of the idea is a great idea. Right. And, I mean, even just sitting down, asking them what they need and listening involves them, right? Just that that helps you understand, but it also involves them because they're explaining what they're looking for. It does. So, so that's one of the great techniques in persuasion. But you also have to sort of meet people where they are. Hmm. Um, it is very difficult to convince someone to try something that seems incredibly foreign uh, to them. Like eggplant. But if you can root it in something that they know, uh, it, it's easier to make that slight leap. And so what the food corps was doing is they would uh, you know, remake dishes that the kids already were familiar with, but make them healthier, for instance. Mm. And, and that was easier for the kids to say yes than if you just sort of served them a giant plate of arugula and said, go for it. <laughs> It's so true, but because they get pizza, they get the idea of pizza, and if you can make it taste good and introduce hummus, then you might, you know, you could always put pepperonis and, or carrots. I guess they did on the pizza instead of pepperonis. But start where start where their heads are. Start where their heads are. I mean, even a regular pizza with lots of veggies on it would be a, a step in the right direction. Right. Right. Is um. Did, did you – so you went in and you – did you kind of just follow the, the food core people or did you just interview a bunch of uh, people that, that had been uh, doing this, this teaching process? So I have written about them in the past for other um, publications and have done some following in that sense. Uh, they do incredible work. It's, it's fun to watch them. Um, partly it's that – and this is important for people thinking about persuasion as well – Kids love 
slightly older young people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because, yeah. Um, the, the volunteers in this group are like young 20s. So they're really hip to the high school and middle school students they're working with. Um, the, and, and they are also aware of the social dynamics in the schools as well, um, so that if you could get the cool kids to be the ones who are offering you the carrots, you're more yeah. likely to say yes um, than if it's just, you know, a, a random adult they don't care about. Uh, so, so that's something to think about as well. That's interesting. Instead of like the, you know, stereotypical lunch lady that's been there for 30 years, it might be better to have a fun, younger person that makes it fun. Exactly, or even a, a fellow student, um, that rather than, than the lunch lady offering it sort of with no introduction whatsoever, it's just suddenly on the line. Um, <laughs> if she has someone take around trays of samples, and it's like going to Costco, get little samples and try it, and you know, walk around the cafeteria and have people try bits and tastes, it, it's a lot easier to get people to say yes. Yeah, I think that's, that really is a great, I mean, and again, in any business, you've, you've got to you've got to look attractive, right, to the, to the buyer. You have to. I mean, people are not willing to go with stuff that is unpleasant, that is ugly, that is no fun. Um, and I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, we have this phrase, like, eat your spinach, which means do something you don't want to do. Right. Right? Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> we have that, that assumption that eating spinach is something you just don't want to do. And so you can't really present it that way, that you should eat your spinach because you have to eat your spinach. So, you know, you want to make your offering fun, beautiful, pleasant. I've seen some, when I've been writing about this topic in the past, I've seen some amazingly creative lunch lines at schools where the whole point is to make it look like a gorgeous salad bar. Hmm. Uh, you know, like, yeah, you could have just vats of gross stuff on the lunch line, or you can make it look like something people would really want to eat. Guess which one is more likely to make the kids eat their vegetables? Right. You know what? It's, it's like, wow, you've just landed in heaven, and you can have any kind of beautifully colored fruit or vegetable you'd like. And I, I mean, my kids would still be looking for the donut line, but it, it, it's part of this is, if you understand, if you've done these other earlier steps and you understand your audience and you know where they are, um, you will be able to make the offering more enticing. More enticing, more attractive, more surprising. I mean, if you're going to serve bunches of pizzas of cut up fruit, why not stick them on a little kebab? And it's like, wow, we just got something that's like a popsicle. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. It's so much more more fun. And, and so, you know, we tell kids, like, don't play with your food, but sometimes there's something to be said for playing with your food or playing with anything that you're trying to convince someone to say yes to. Right. And, I mean, just don't throw your food unless you're catching it and eating it. We're not into that. Yeah, that's good. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Lara Vanderkam, and she is walking us through an article that she wrote, um, Seven Lessons in Persuasion from People Who Get Kids to Eat Veggies. It's at fastcompany.com, and um, it really is. It's just a great idea. If you're trying to be more persuasive, these tips that Lara picked up from Food Corps, which is an organization trying to get kids and succeeding, by the way, to get kids uh, to try new vegetables and eat vegetables. Um, these lessons, these lessons are universal. They'll apply in your family, in your work, everywhere. So uh, stick with us. We'll come back. Continue to learn the seven tricks and lessons in persuasion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Persuasion, uh, it's everywhere. It's every part of our lives we are going to have the opportunity to, to influence somebody and persuade them to do something. In fact, it sells 101, right? But it's also parenting. It's getting your kids to eat their veggies. Sometimes it's getting them to just do their homework. And there's many ways to do it. Some of them, by the way, are much more efficient, we think. Like yelling is going to be efficient because that'll get them to do it immediately. The problem is I remember not wanting to eat my veggies while sitting at a table um, as a young kid. And I remember sitting there for hours and just sat there with my dad while my dad was drawing and painting and something, doing some art. And I just, I enjoyed it. Just family time. But I wasn't eating my veggies. So we got to be careful in how we persuade and some ways obviously work better than others. Our guest um, today wrote an article, Seven Lessons in Persuasion from People Who Get Kids to Eat Their Veggies. Her name is Lara Vanderkam. She is a writer for Fast Company and um, has written many articles for them, but also many books as well. And she's joining us today to walk us through some of the lessons she learned from um, Food Corps, which is an organization that's helping kids learn to love their vegetables. Lara Vanderkam, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So far, you've taught us we need to involve our customers in the process, meet them where they are, get the cool kids, you know, on your side. Because once you kind of get the the early adopters, the cool kids involved, that that makes it a little more interesting to to our people. Which, by the way, get the get the early adopters, get the the name brand people in your organization on board, and make your offering fun. Um, pretty basic, but but it really profoundly um, important steps. Lara, what's the next step? What's the next thing we do to persuade? Well, the next two things are pretty related, which is that you have to be willing to sort of accept small steps. You have to be willing to make it easy for people to say yes, right? Like they want, you want them to be able to give you something yeah. and for you to be happy about that. And with that, you want to be incredibly positive. And this is where most parents fail in the great veggie wars. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, we, we are so inclined to yell about the fact that the kid isn't eating their you know, carrots and, and ignore that they had one bite of green beans. The food court goes totally the opposite direction. They're like, okay, you know, you're not going to eat the carrots. That's fine. But yay, the green bean. That was wonderful. Mm. Thank you so much for doing that. I hope you loved it. But even if you didn't love it, that was wonderful that you tried it. And it is amazing how much more reactive people are to things that are positive. Um, most of us are really not interested in being yelled at. Right. Um, we are not interested in fighting over these things. And, you know, kids have to do certain things that their parents say they do, but they're not happy about it. And they're not going to develop any interest in eating vegetables over the long term um, just through sheer yelling. Uh, so if we can try to be relentlessly positive about anything that you're trying to convince someone to do. It, it really goes with the saying that you, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Mm, totally. And if you put honey on vegetables, totally palatable. Even better. And why not, right? Like right. if your goal is to get them to eat the vegetables, go ahead and put anything on it. <laughs> put some honey work, on whether it. Whether it's honey or butter or ranch dressing or, or whatever. But the positivity is important because the kids may not try you know, the yams, but they may try the mashed potatoes. And so 
but you've got to see what they are doing that's positive. Otherwise, it will always be an endeavor of the negative. It will. And, and they are giving you something. And in any negotiation, it's about getting something. And then hopefully you can build momentum from that to get something more. Mm, that's great advice. And then, so accept small steps and be relentlessly positive. Uh, and then last but not least, spread what works. I mean, certain things, you got to be noticing your technique and did it influence the child to do more? Because if it did, then we need to do more of that. And this works with anything. Uh, you know, if you're in sales, your colleagues who are also in sales are trying lots of different stuff too. They've probably seen what works in certain situations and what doesn't. And in the course of trying things out, they'll get ideas that, you know, could take you hours to come up with on your own, days to come up with on your own, or you could just see what they did and try it. Um, so I think it's better to be aware of what other people are um, trying in their attempts to persuade people, uh, trying those things yourself, seeing if they work. Maybe they don't, but the odds are reasonable that they might. And when you think about, again, these lessons came to you, really, it seems like from a nonprofit organization, right? Yeah, they're... Um, a service organization that sends core members out into schools um, to get them kids to try their vegetables and hopefully build habits of healthy eating over the long term. And um, they, the, some of the research shows that of uh, the students exposed to 10 hours of its programming, 7 in 10 will improve their attitude, attitude towards vegetables. More than 40% tried new vegetables for the first time. So it, I mean, again, it's just, these are, seem like just basic principles that work everywhere from a service organization to just my, my dining room table. <laughs> I think so. I mean, persuasion is something that anyone can think about uh, and think about why would somebody want to do what you are asking them to do. And you know, the fact that you want them to do it is not in and of itself a very compelling reason. <laughs> uh, in any line of work, any area of life, you have to think about, well, why can I make this person want to do it themselves? Like, what can I do to make it something that they are choosing to do? Um, and, and if you can answer that question, the chances that they do what you are asking them to is, are a lot higher. Yeah, and and the weird, I guess, crazy thing about it is, it's it's theirs. They're they're doing it. It's their agency. It's their willpower. It's their choice. Exactly. There's a, a famous self help book, Dale Carnegie's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. And one of his bits of advice is that you want to arouse in the other person an eager desire to do whatever it is. Uh, you know, they're not going to do it because you're yelling at them. They're not going to do it because you're threatening them or making them feel bad. The way that people do things um, and, and stick with them over the long term is because they want to. Mm. And so you have to answer the question of why should they want to do this. And what food has come up with is ways that people feel it is fun to try vegetables. They feel it will help them gain social acceptance to try vegetables. Um, they want to be friends with the core member. They want to be friends with their friends who are trying the vegetables. They're having a good time. They planted the vegetable themselves, so they're interested in seeing what came out of it. These are all great reasons to try vegetables, and they're much more effective than you're going to try this because I said you have to. Yeah, good stuff. Well, Lara Vanderkam, we appreciate you and uh, suggest to everybody, go check out her website, lauravandercam.com, as well as her uh, book, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast. It's just principles, folks, universal ideas. And they'll work uh, 
they work. It's it's human behavior. Humans just want to know that they're important. And um, if, if you want to move somebody, you're going to have to do more than just start yelling. You're going to have to you're going to have to understand and get into their head. Make it interesting. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit two of our uh, good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be coming up on their show at the top of the hour, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Yes, it is that day. Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. Let's send it now down to the planet Cryptor. No idea. And our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jason, filling in for Jaren. Jerem, how are you, John? Oh, man. We're good, but it is as cold as Hoff in here, man. Is it cold? <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> downright chilly. <laughs> And you're welcome for that joke, by the way. That was a great joke. <laughs> that one went right over my head. You don't know Hoth? I know Hoth. <laughs> What's Hoth? It's a trap! It's a trap! <laughs> it's a trap! <laughs> you have it already. We're, so good. We're locked yes, and loaded. Does. Today is the day, guys, of... There's a nerd alert! There's a nerd alert! Nerd alert. You just use the word. Tell you to play that because Jason Shepard is in studio B. Exactly, because you just used the word Hoth on the show, and <laughs> it is Star Wars Day. You have no idea how badly I wanted, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. I do not own a Star Wars shirt, but I was more than willing to go out and buy one to wear on the show today. Oh, you would have, been. but I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. How does one properly celebrate May the Fourth? Well, you obviously put on Yoda ears. Okay. And you walk around and you ask people questions. Okay. Questions people you ask do. Ah, there you go. <laughs> so the starter pack for somebody that wants to celebrate May the 4th mm-hmm. includes Yoda ears. Yoda ears, yes. Maybe one of those toy lightsabers. Mm-hmm. That our producer Terry beats his child with in a the loving way. The original Star Wars trilogy. The original trilogy. You get you get uh, Princess Episodes Leia, four, five, and six. Princess Leia hair buns, and Princess Leia hair buns. Okay, we've determined it. Starter pack has four things: <laughs> Princess Leia hair buns, yes, Yoda ears, mm-hmm. a toy lightsaber, yeah, and Episodes four, five, and six. And you on must VHS exactly, <laughs> and you must have a Chewbacca like scream. Now it's getting too big. No, that's just what you carry in your heart. <laughs> You don't have to care. Chewbacca scream. I actually tried this a minute ago. First time ever. Uh, (gasps) Ooh. How was that? That sounded great. Thank you. Thank you. If only you had a Chewbacca. (laughs) If only you had Princess Leia buns on, then you'd be perfect. Remember that Friends episode? (laughs) No. (laughs) Yes, Jason. I do remember that Friends episode. And we will not discuss it at length. Is it it not appropriate? (laughs) No, it's... (laughs) It's not appropriate, is it? We'll just say one of the characters really likes Princess Leia. <laughs> okay. And leave it at that. <gasps> yep. Yikes. It's getting a little PG up in here. Totally. That must be heating up the uh, the, the old Studio B. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> we have passed TV Y7 and are on yeah, our way to we've TV gone PG. from Hoth to Dagobah. <laughs> oh my <laughs> heavens! <laughs> it's a alert, nerd nerd. alert! It's a nerd alert! It's a nerd alert! It's a nerd alert! Yep. That is just awkward. <laughs> Why do you even have those names in your head? The second one, I really don't know. I'm Digabah, so that's where that's where Luke goes and meets Yoda for the first time. I, mm. Oh, I had a Digabah once. <laughs> Isn't that a chocolate-covered vanilla ice cream bar? Exactly. <laughs> did you guys not grow up? I mean, we're all relatively the same age. Yes, we grew up with this. I did. No, no, no. Know the geography and the locations <laughs> and the proper pronunciation of all the cities in Star Matt, Wars. If no. I asked you, yeah, yeah, yeah. The planet that Luke Skywalker's from, what would you say? Oh, Digabah. No. Doggone it. Tatooine. Tatooine. <laughs> Tatooine. See, to me, Tatooine is a tattoo parlor in southeast uh, Salt Lake City. Listen, Jason, the first time I saw Star Wars, the first the, when I saw the trilogy, I was, you know, I, I was fixated on the blue elephant for crying out loud. Okay. I, th- I thought that was hilarious. Okay. I just wanted to keep watching that part. And he was on screen. We don't have that. We have this piano bar music. That's a different bar. Yeah. Yeah. This is the bar on Digabah. It's not Digabah. Sorry, what's it called? Dagobah. Dagobah. Somebody say Dilly Bar? Dilly Bar. Ooh. This is... um. My dad used to own a Dairy Queen, and I used to eat those all the time. What? Yeah, yeah. How did I not know this? This was back in the day. I could get anything I wanted from Dairy Queen. It so hold awesome. on. Wow. You were the prince of a Dairy King? <laughs> I was the Dairy Prince, <laughs> if there's such a thing. On Dagobah. On da- but <laughs> no. you said it right, which I appreciate. On Dagobah, not Dagobah. Although, for a cold treat, you needed to be on Hoth. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you are... Alert nerd. Such a nerd. That's Chevy Chase. Hot right eats there. cool treats, Jason Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Um, boy, I am speechless. May the 4th. You did this, Matt. I totally you did. did. I had you knew no idea. You were opening up with Jason Shepard here. It's a trap. Yeah, exactly. it is a trap. Hoff. Hey, just imagine, though, if Jerem would have been here, it probably would have oh, been taken up another notch. No, don't totally. you think? Yeah, yeah. But we would have had a lot of great audio. <laughs> <laughs> and then he would have been singing that final vibrato song that he sings. <laughs> Nobody does vibrato better than Jerem Jordan. You with me? Oh, yeah, his Let's hear it, shall we? Uh, I don't think we have that. Oh, it's we, not safe. We don't, but, but in drop. memory. Oh, BYU is going to win the national championship. Oh. That's pretty good vibrato <laughs> yeah. still. Yeah. Hey, by the way, we just got to mention this. I would win an election in the Vatican. Yeah, how about that? Spencer Trump, you're in. How huge win in Indiana. <laughs> you will huge, be huge. huge. You will be uh, you'll be able to use that voice for at least six more months. <laughs> How many times, Matt? And I just Spencer had not seen this, so we just saw. I uh, he looked at this about 20, 30 minutes ago. How many times have you watched Ted Cruz punching and elbowing his <laughs> wife in the face? Yeah, <laughs> it's so sad. I'm officially pulling out of the race. But exactly, punch S- elbow S- symbolically as You're if a she monster. hasn't as if she hasn't taken enough elbows. <laughs> and now then her husband knocks her out. I keep waiting for Mitt Romney to enter the election Yeah, as an independent. Not going to happen. Oh, I know. It's not going to happen. I he's, know. He's having a great so life much. now. Do you, do you not think he would win if he's like, I'll throw my name in the mix? Let's put this in there. I don't know, because uh, Trump killed everyone else. 
I mean, Trump is like Listeria virus. It's like a stomach virus. See, what you could do, you could turn this into like WWE type stuff, which maybe some people think it already is. But you could have, you know, when you think yeah. that one person's on their way to winning, all of a sudden you hear the music in the background <laughs> and all of a sudden the camera yeah. goes over to the side. And who's there? Mitt Romney running in. Romney! Jumping into the ring, literally. Yeah. with his WWE on that. With his like farmer tan. <laughs> <laughs> half white, half tan arms. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And they're all in those, they're all in, what do they call the wrestling jersey things? A singlet? Yeah, they're all in their sing. They're all in their singlets. A singlet. Yeah, but they've got their, and then they've got their, their zipper up masks, like the, um, like the uh, wrestlers from Mexico. Mexico. Oh, yeah. Me? The, uh, oh, what's the name? I know. Come on, Nacho I know. Libre. Nacho Libre. Yeah, Lucho Libre. Romney Libre. <laughs> His family was from Mexico. Hey, um, okay, what's on your show? We got to get to your show. We're oh, having yeah. too much we, fun. We should. We got to back about it down as well, right? Oh come on! Quit having fun. Uh, <laughs> Hello, Michael. <laughs> Hello, Michael. What what's what's on your show? You're still doing it today, right? Even though we it are. is, we are. And it's a big show. Brett McMurphy of ESPN, one of the lead college football analysts and experts. I mean, he is an insider. He is. In Phoenix, Arizona right now at the Big 12 meetings where all this news is circulating about, hey, Big 12 got this research, and they're saying that they need to expand to at least 12 teams to increase their chance of getting into the college football playoff and have an eight-game schedule and a championship. And now BYU fans are like, oh, this is it. The research is back. It says BYU needs to get invited. Brett McMurphy is going to tell us what he thinks the Big 12 should do and what is actually happening? How much better of a chance will they have if they expand to 12 teams? Wow. Okay. That's good news. Maybe, possibly. Not to get excited. Very interesting stuff. That's a great guest. Anything else on the show? Maverick Buffo and yes. hat stacking. What else yes. do we have, Jason? Hat stacking. Uh, okay. Fowler. We've got, you know, let's be honest. It's May the 4th, so we're going to have references. <laughs> and, and here's the deal. I, here's a little tease for you. I have an unbelievable... May the fourth be with you story oh boy. to bring up at the beginning of the show oh that happened boy. this morning. You cannot make this up. You cannot make it up. Wow. That's a great tease. Okay, so for the rest of you nerds, um, you're going to have to watch just that. Sheesh. Not to be rude, guys. <laughs> but it's only one day. You got to keep your audience for the rest and of the tomorrow year. Tomorrow is Cinco de Mayo, man. This oh, is a great that's my week. favorite day, Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> We've had it's gonna be May this week, and May the Fourth be with you, and now Cinco de Mayo tomorrow. <laughs> you guys are the best. That's a great show. I can tell already. I'm just going to lead you out with this one. Have a great show, uh, and uh, you know, remember who you are down there on Dagobah. 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 Yes. It's very humid there. Uh, Tatooine. Uh, the Matt Townsend Show from Tatooine. We are out. Yes. Have fun on Dagobah. Have a good oh, one, guys. Oh, my goodness. Good luck. Good luck. Bye. Knock them dead. You've only got a few minutes. Hey, guys, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, they, I, you know what? I think I'm just old. Because they come up with these, these words and maybe I just had a life. I don't know what it is. I didn't I don't remember all of those things. Part of it is I guess I just was studying. Anyway, as you know, we like to um end the show on a hero story. 
And we do that for a variety of reasons. But one reason is to make sure that you always know that there's positive things happening in the world because that is one of our goals. KUTV News um, has a wonderful story about a 12-year-old philanthropist that spends free time helping the less fortunate. Listen to this one. When most 12-year-old girls are spending time with friends, shopping, or going to the movies, there's one Ogden preteen in Ogden, Utah, who spends her days giving back. When I was eight years old, my teacher was talking about how some kids go to bed hungry, they don't have enough food. Armani McFarland explained, that was just the starting point. For the last four years, McFarland has been organizing food drives, clothing drives, backpack drives, and volunteering wherever she can. Just last year, folks, she collected and donated nearly 2,000 pairs of pants for the homeless. With her mom by her side, this preteen gives back every single day. She's done more in her life than most adults have, her mom said. Armani spends hours every week volunteering at a thrift shop in Ogden. But uh, one day she realized that wasn't enough. She started looking into different grant opportunities and she wanted to go get a grant. Walmart offers a grant, but a lot of things only um, places only offer donations and grants to the nonprofits. Her mom, Cassidy McFarland, explained, with some research and help from family and friends, Armani decided to take a leap of faith. Just before Christmas, she said, I think I want to start my own nonprofit. And she did. Folks, listen to this. Now Armani runs this nonprofit, One Can Make a Change, focused on making a difference in the community. She works with local business leaders to help give back. And her mom says she even runs uh, the board meetings with those same business owners to play future events, to plan future events and to give back. Anyway, she's now able to influence more and more people. And as a young 12-year-old girl, she's changing the world. She's the hero of the day, Armani McFarland. You did it, my friend. Now, keep doing it, huh? And if Armani can do it at 12 years old, you can too. Whether it's volunteering, just giving back, serving, loving your neighbors, that's why we do the show. We'll be back again tomorrow, folks. Until then, take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk tomorrow.